Hey guys, so um, I have this interview idea with my good friend Bobby uh, Hundreds a couple months ago, but I wanted to drop it today, even though I'm doing the New York part of my life um, in chronological order as everything else I've been doing. I feel like it's important to drop his episode today um, as he has a book out right now, an incredible book um, it's called This Is Not a T-Shirt. And um, it's an incredible book. He's an incredible human, big part of my life, big part of uh, H2O's life, and um, just a really good friend of mine. So I thought it was important I dropped this episode today. Yeah, my voice kind of a little raspy. Um, fuck, played New Jersey on Friday, incredible show in Asbury Park. And then we played the Warp Tour yesterday in the blazing hot sun, and then got off stage and went straight to the airport and... Um, Got home really late last night, so I'm home for four days, and I go to Europe on uh, Friday. So, just trying to get all these episodes together for the um, next couple weeks. So, yeah, this is important for me to drop this today. Hope you guys enjoy this interview. This guy's a very intelligent, wonderful human, Mr. Bobby Hundreds. Enjoy, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, my special guest is sitting in my kitchen, a person I've known for a very long time. We'll get down to that relationship on this episode. So welcome to the podcast, my good friend, Bobby Hundreds. It is I. <laughs> you're filming me? Okay, so welcome <laughs> to the podcast, Bobby. I appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. Um, we're going to so we're gonna go back in time first to, where, to get you where you are now. So I know you were born in Riverside, California. Is that correct? That's absolutely incorrect, Toby. So where in California were you born? I was not born in California. I was born in uh, Maryland. Did you know this? Bullshit. DMV. I'm, I was born in Maryland. I was born in... Um, I got wrong Al- information. Ellicott City, Maryland. I, I was only there for a couple years. So that's why... Do people think you're born in Cali, though? Yeah, of course, because we're like a California-based brand, and I'm LA-based. But I did not know that. Was born in, on the East Coast in Maryland, and then uh, my family moved to Orange County, and then we moved to Riverside, and so Riverside is technically my hometown. But I grew up, uh, yeah, I grew up in Riverside. What, what, what were you doing? What were you guys doing in Maryland? I don't. I don't know. I've heard many different things. I do know that in the '70s when. Asians started immigrating to America because up until I don't want to get into too much political stuff or we yeah, can, we can, but up want. until the late sixties, uh, if you were from browner countries, more or less, you weren't even allowed to immigrate here. So there was a natural immigration naturalization act, 1967 that passed. So in the seventies, there was the floodgates. That's when all the Asians started coming over and people from different countries that weren't just, uh, European countries. And wow. When they came, uh, the government didn't want them congregating in certain areas. And so they would actually displace certain communities. Um, my family ended up in, at first, my parents were based in Sulphur, Oklahoma. So Random. imagine growing up in the countryside in Korea and you don't know the language, you don't know the culture of the states. And the first place that you live in is Sulphur, which is like, it's like a national park. There's like nothing there That's in insane. Oklahoma. And then they moved to the East Coast and I was in Baltimore and my dad was looking for work and, and uh, I ended up being born there in Baltimore. Wow. Ellicott City. Yeah. You have brothers and sisters? I got an older brother. He was born in Oklahoma. I have a younger brother. So I'm the middle of three boys. 
Um, and and my older brother is a pastor out in Boston, in Cambridge. Oh, wow. He works with um, a lot of the inner city youth, the community. Um, he is an amazing person, incredible person. Um, and then my younger brother is a public defender here in L.A. So, wow. Yeah, and he has an interesting story because he uh, was working for Snoop for a long time, and okay. then he pivoted and became an attorney and uh he was doing family law and now he's a public defender what was he doing for snoop um you can only imagine <laughs> right it's a public defender yeah yeah, yeah. What, um were you guys a religious family growing up we were religious yeah my so um my parents raised us the okay so for the asian american community especially like koreans yeah when they came to the states you know it was harder for them to assimilate so there was a lot of churches that started up. And this is why Korean American Christianity is such a thing. Yeah. It was a way for the community to come together and have a place to go because within their own communities, they didn't really find a place. So they would kind of like hang out. So church was there, but it was also a place just for parents to brag about their kids and also cheat each other out of pyramid schemes. That's what I would say about <laughs> the Korean churches. And then you learn some good lessons along the way. But we grew up with like a pretty spiritual foundation. And yeah. then along the way, my... Uh, my dad was also very well versed in in all religions, all philosophies, yeah. all literature. So he was um, he encouraged us and inspired us to read a little bit of everything. So we had like a little a virtual library in our house. This is like I I was Krishna for like a year and a half, you wow, know, when yeah. I was in college. Like I you know studied the Book of Satan. All you know, like I've that's awesome, right? Like I've read uh, the Quran twice. Like I've you know I've. I had to learn a little bit of everything just to know where like I stood, you know, I studied Christian apologetics. I went to Biola for that for a little while, just understanding like the, the philosophical, the rational, logical approach to, um, the Christian faith, you know, instead of just like, Oh God said, and just because the Bible said more, just understanding things from like a philosophy based approach. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I studied a little bit of everything and my, and my whole family is always like that. My dad was always like super open and receptive and we discussed religion. We discussed philosophy. We discussed science. We discussed everything. It wasn't pushed down your throat or nothing. No, no. They, uh, in fact, when we were 12, like when we turned around 12 or 13 and we were kind of of age to have our own mindset, our parents gave us the decision of, do you want to keep going to church on Sundays or not? And obviously all of us were like, we don't want to go to church. And so we stopped going to church and we, uh, found our way back to our spiritual walks or our faiths in our own ways and our yeah. own capacities. And, um, it's pretty interesting how that happened because, you know, they just let it be like this open canvas for us and yeah. nothing, nothing was ever pushed down our throat now. So how old were you when that happened? When you just stopped going to church? 12, I okay. think. I mean, I was just like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm not going to church. Like I'm yeah. going to go skate, you know, like I, I, I can hang out on Sundays and not do, you know, they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. You Did know? you and still believe in it? Even though I didn't go to church? Yes. Yeah. I still, I, I still do. I still yeah. believe in God. I, you know, the, I just listened to the episode with your mom and yeah. she's talking about like what her faith looks like. And, and yeah. she still very much believes in a God. And I do like, yeah. I still believe in God. I, I don't uh, subscribe to a lot of the American approach to what like the Protestant Christian religion is. Like I don't, subscribe to a lot of I don't necessarily agree with um, a lot of that approach but you know I think there's certain elements and there's certain things that I think are applicable to everyone you know just basically boiling down to the golden rule like treating each people like being kind and being compassionate person I think like I believe Christ was a real person at some point in history I think um, his 
his tenets of like being compassionate towards people, you know, f- putting other people first. Like, yeah, everyone should follow that stuff. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't find any room f- to me. The idea of what God is, is just love. Like I think our concept of love comes from, um, whatever God is, you know? And I don't think like we're born with that. I don't think we learn it. I think it's innately within us. And so, um, if there's, there's no room for hate, there's no room for judging in that space for me. Like I, I, I think it's all about, love and taking care of people and, and putting other people first. And it's the same thing that I have two boys and it's the same uh, thing that I, and uh, that instilling we teach them, them and yeah. instill in them in, in our house too. You how know? old are so they? They are six and nine. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so how are you, how are you in school? How was I in school? I was, uh, I was very much advanced. I, I sound like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ended up, I was reading, um books like full novels and doing math at what age before kindergarten when i was like four so this is uh, my first genius on the podcast i don't know if i was a genius i still don't think of myself as a genius but i was very well i i love to read and i still do i love telling stories i love writing i love great writer great writer and so I always had this attraction, magnetic attraction towards books. I loved books and I could read before kindergarten. So I ended up skipping first grade and that actually wow. um, set the tone for the rest of my life because yeah. from that point on, I was always a year younger, right? I was brown. I was an, not only was I brown, I was an Asian person in my community. So sometimes I was the only Asian person in the entire class or like sometimes there was like three people in the entire school that like wow. looked like me. And growing up in the eighties being an Asian person, especially an Asian male, like there's so many stereotypes thrown your way. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of, uh, fear and, and racism, discrimination based against Asians because, of let's say like the automobile market right like japan was kind of swallowing up the car market so there was like if you look at the movies back then there was a lot of um we weren't portrayed in the best light you know if if anything we were like the karate guy and so being asian person in a community which was predominantly white and latino i was a year younger than everybody else yeah i was a middle son so that was already loaded with having like a lot of insecurities and feeling like i had to over compensate for everything and so exactly that i was always always overcompensating and in that way it made me a better person you know like i was always the underdog i still see myself as the underdog um i'm 38 years old today i have a business that i love i work with people that i love i get to do what i love every day but i still see myself as the underdog and i love it yeah. You know, like I love having always thinking keeps you hungry too. Yeah. It keeps me hungry. Like I always want to overcome things and surmount things and, you know, prove people wrong. Like it's just what drives me, you know, it's exhausting. It's an exhausting way to live, but <laughs> like, I think it's created, like it's motivated me to it get out of bed every today. morning. Yeah yeah. You, yeah. 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 So you got good grades obviously and you graduated probably really well. And- no. So, so that's the thing I did get good grades, but then I also like failed a lot of classes, right? Like I was like failing here and there i was good i I did well in my sats like i got a i think i got like a 1440 when i was in like ninth grade which is like you know at the time was pretty good for what it was and um i was you know so in some ways i was advanced but i wasn't really interested in school i wasn't motivated too smart you was bored i think i was bored i don't know if i was too again i I don't know if i was too smart but like i just never felt challenged by school and a lot of kids feel like that that's why we end up either getting into trouble or we find things like skateboarding or art. Um, And if those avenues aren't provided for us, you know, I think it's a different generation today where we all, we start, we're starting to recognize that, 
it's if a kid isn't good at biology, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a failure in life. Like maybe there's something, maybe he's going to be a YouTube personality or maybe he's going to design kitchenware. Yeah. Or like there's other avenues for them to succeed. But yeah. back then, especially coming from immigrant parents who were told, you know, like first of all, my parents were scared to death just coming to this country, let alone thinking like, how are we, how are our children going to survive in this country? We don't understand the culture of the language. And so all they've ever known was if you go, if you become a doctor or a lawyer, or if you have a professional career, you're safe or you have a government job, like you're safe, right? Like these things were very safe Totally. and to be an artist or to freestyle it as like, I want to be a pro skater one day was like completely unheard of, you know, it's frightening. And so, um, yeah, like th- those options were never really viable for me as a young person. And so I was like, what the hell can I do? Like, if I'm not good at school, I must be complete fuck up, you know? Yeah. And instead of realizing like, I'm not good at school, but that's because I'm good at all this other stuff or yeah. I like to do other stuff. Were and your so, parents like strict about your grades? Yeah, they were super strict, really, really strict. I mean, it's that uh, the typical Asian um, stereotypes of like, yeah. if you don't get an A, like an A was bad because it wasn't an Damn. A plus. So wow. like if I came home with a report card of like A minuses or even a B plus, it was just like I was in serious trouble. You Damn, know? so yeah. was that pressure all the time? There was pressure all the time. Parents were never satisfied. Parents were never happy enough. Um, not a lot of like, uh, physical like hugs in the house, you know, really? like just yeah, cold? not like, a lot of yeah. support, you know, just like th- look. My parents grew up in in the Korean War, you know, so yeah. and Korea at the time too was essentially a third world country. Like my parents grew up with like lots of disease in their in their communities in their towns. Like my dad grew up on a farm. Uh, his mom died when he was a kid, so he grew up without a mother. Damn. Like these are very real things. Um, if anyone is interested in what I'm talking about, there's a great book called Pachinko, which kind of outlines this era of Korean history. Okay. But um, the war and poverty and just the hardships of the weather and the climate, the climate's super brutal over there. Yeah. So, you know, there was not much to be happy about. And this is a typical immigrant story. Like, we live in the best country in the world, America. You know, we have so many luxuries, like so many amazing opportunities here. Totally. But for people who immigrate from other countries, they have different stories, especially from that uh, era of yeah. time you know like that part of history like oh, people came from very meager means there's a lot of death a lot of disease there's a lot of poverty and so like what is there to be happy about you know my parents used to tell me that all the time like we would go back and visit our relatives in korea and they were you know like they would just be super grim all the time and like super negative and i was just like why are they so bummed out all the time and my mm-hmm. dad was just like yeah you get to eat mcdonald's every day ride your skateboard around listen to the music you want to hang out with your friends it's warm weather like look at what these people have had to live through their whole life like there's no there's no like light at the end of the tunnel yeah. there's no hope you know they're just trying to survive yeah and so um i grew up just being very grateful and thankful that my parents had even emigrated out of korea come here yeah and given me a life where i could kind of pursue that american american dream like i built building my own business working for myself like yeah again best country in the world yeah. so did you go when you graduated were you what, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you go to college after that? Yeah. So I graduated. Um, I, after I graduated high school, I went to UC San Diego. 
Um, I didn't know why I wanted wanted like I got accepted UC Berkeley, UCLA. I chose UC San Diego just because there's like all the awesome skate spots from like <laughs> that point of skateboarding yeah. where like you know yeah. like Pacific Drive was a thing and like yeah. all my favorite skaters were like down in that part of of the world and so I was just like oh San Diego skateboarding is <laughs> so cool it's the mecca yeah and so um, I went to UC San Diego for four years. I studied. I ended up I was go- going for a triple major. I ended up with like three minors and major and like study theater and psychology and and communication and graphic design and all this stuff but um yeah i kind of like got a mix of everything i think that's like most kids today i think kind of follow this way of life like they're multi-hyphenates yeah. they're a little bit of everything you know i'm sure you know max is obviously like it's, that yeah, right totally yeah is and you don't just listen to one genre of music no. you don't wear just one genre of clothes and um I already thought like that uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. Like I, lis- I listened, you know, grew up grew up in the hardcore scene, listened yeah. to punk, but also went to Scon swing shows and then also like listened to like a lot of backpack rap. Yeah. Which uh, at the time, like you were a Hesher or you hung out with the, like the Skins hung out with the Skins in our in our yeah. school and, you know, the Rude, Rudies hung out with the Rude Boys and like everything was so segregated. Yeah. But I think... Um, me just I, I just I had so many diverse interests and I, I didn't really see why there had to be a reason for these walls set up. And so even when I was studying in school, I was just like, I'm, I want to act, but I also want to understand like the human mind. And so like I want to study psychology and like I also want to study journalism because I love I love journalism. Like I love yeah. other people's stories. I want to learn about people and I want to share that story with the rest of the world. So like, what is that? And so I think kids today have it right like i think the internet allowed um everyone to think like that now to where like you don't have to do just one thing yeah and in some ways like i miss the old days of like people were in categories and yeah. there was genres <laughs> and like very clear rules about like yeah. if you dress this way you this and you can't be a poser if you wear these yeah um and now everyone like you can't tell like who's a gangster like he's wearing like skinny jeans and all of a sudden he's like the scariest guy in the block yeah like, oh what you know like it's true or somebody's wearing dickie and cortez and they're not yeah yeah and they're, and they're not exactly yeah. and so like you don't know really like yeah. it was kind of cool back then just aesthetically to walk around a high school campus and go like the jocks and the letterman jackets and like the nerds the and nerds. the theater kids and like stoners the stoners and the hippies and like everyone you know and they played the part and it was like it was really cool but i was the kid that floated between circles at lunchtime i would sit here for five minutes and sit here and i would just like sounds like us as a generalist Yeah. yeah yeah what um so what was your first exposure to skateboarding did that come before um, punk music or was it skating first definitely skating first you know just growing up in the 80s in general i think the Bones Brigade just kind of permeated the culture, right? VHS's, so man. everything about the Bones Brigade was so taboo and dangerous, like the iconography, the way that those kids wore their hair, the way that they dressed. And then, yeah. of course, comes with skateboards. And um, I think my first uh, taste of what skateboarding and, and not just like the act of skateboarding or the skateboard itself, but the attitude of skateboarding. I yeah. had a friend whose older brother was this kid, Joseph, um, and he was a Korean kid. And so this, I thought, was also really different for the time because all the skaters I saw, they looked like Tony Hawk and they had like a Tony Hawk flop and whatnot. Totally. But he was like, he was a Korean skinhead. And his name was Joe and he wore like cramps. I remember he would always wear his like yellow cramps shirt and he had like, um, I don't remember what kind of board he had, but he had like a super sick board. He wore thrasher (laughs) hoodies all the time. Yeah. And uh, he would always like smoke and drink and he was like the cool kid and I would always follow him around and be like, man, that guy's so cool. Like I want to skateboard because 
I want to be like him, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like five or six years old at the time. So like that to me was always like in my head, when I think of what makes skateboarding cool, it's still that guy, you know? And like, I always aspire to be that. And the thing is, is that I got into skateboarding, like, you know, in the eighties, I was just butt boarding a lot. And then I started, I was, I was nine and 10. Then I started learning how to like actually ride my board, like in a, in a way where I could do tricks and stuff. And yeah. the nineties were the best part, like the nineties, the mid nineties, you know, like speaking of the movie, but really yeah. that era captured, like that movie captured a real emotion and cultural movement at the time of, a it was, a, it was a black sheep movement you know yeah. like skateboarding was not a viable industry you know there was it was pre-x games it was pre-mountain dew commercials um it was also like it had peaked in the 80s and and it followed off in the early 90s where people were like you can't still be doing that it's not cool and yeah. so everyone who was in it at that time was really in it for the love and saw something in it about being like the outcast being the marginalized fringe 100%. kid you know like i don't fit anywhere else I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like I shouldn't be here because it's not cool. It's not relevant. Girls, girls don't think it's cool. There's no money or future into it. And so we were, we gravitated towards it. Yeah. And I think subculture in general at that time, the, the, the surf subculture, the skate subculture, punk subculture, the reason why all those things were considered so dangerous and gnarly and off limits was there was potentially no future in it. Yeah. You know, like my parents were always like, yeah like how are you gonna make a future being a skateboarder like even tony hawk the best skateboarder in the world at the time was like not killing it really you know because like vert was dead so like how are you (laughs) gonna even do that and you're not really good at skateboarding and it was just like yeah there's no hope like this which is weird because today that everything that the kids think is cool is like how do i make money or like everything they get into is because there's like oh well this guy made a lot of money doing it so that's why i want to do it yeah but we did everything to not make money Right. Like it was 100%. all about like staying poor and staying pure. And it was like, stay poor, stay poor. Something we're passionate about. We loved it. Yeah. We were like, there there's no hope. Yeah. There's no hope in this. We're, our future is going to, we have no future. Um, it's a dead end life, but we love it so much. And so we're going to do it because we don't care. And yeah. like, that was such a great feeling, wasn't it? I th- it's still a great feeling. Yeah. Like in a, you know, bring it up to speed, uh, up to date today. Like I still run my company like that. We make money, obviously, like I make a good living. I provide a good living for a lot of our staff. Um, but the way I still think about what I do every day is not with this end goal of, I need to make a billion dollars, you know, like I do it because I just love doing it. And if you just, the, I was telling Sean, Sean Weatherspoon was in the office today and we were talking about like, shout out to Sean, shout out Sean. But Sean, I was, Sean was just breaking out some of his early story of round two and his um, when he started his thrift stores. And he's just like, yeah, the first day we made $200 and we're like, oh, my God, we're rich and we're so ecstatic. $200, right? That guy makes $200 like in a minute now, right? Yeah. Or in a second, actually. Yeah. So, like, it's nothing to him. But still, he, lo- he still reminisces back on that feeling. Yeah. And it's the same for me. Like, when Ben and I started the company and we sold our first T-shirt for like $40, I never got as happy as that throughout the last 16 years. Like that's Damn. the happiest. And it's, it had nothing to do with like, I made a billion dollars, a hundred million dollars. Yeah. It was just about, I'm getting to make a living by doing something I love. You yeah. know, I drew that picture. I put on a t-shirt, someone, a stranger bought it. I have enough money to eat today. Yeah. Like that's supreme happiness to me. Yeah. So I think that comes from the spirit of all of us growing up. Like there was no future. There was no money in doing what we did. And so if you add a million dollars on top of it, 
cool, thanks. But yeah. like, it doesn't make me a million times more happy. Yeah. Like, I'm just happy as it is. Like, I was always happy just to be able to yeah. do this. So like day one, I was rich. You know, that's how I, that's I like how I that. think of it. Yeah. 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 So, so what was, your, what was your best skateboard trick? Oh, okay. So I had <laughs> the very first trick I learned because I didn't know how to do kickflips at the time. Right. So look, this is pre-internet. So like we had skate videos. There's like maybe three kids in town who actually knew how to skate. And I just knew like you, there was a thing called a kickflip and I couldn't figure out how to do it. I couldn't do slow motion on my VCR and figure out like the mechanics behind it. So what I started and end up doing was just pressure flips, but they were like straight pressure flips. Yeah. And uh, so I, my that's still my favorite trick to this day you still it's do the it? worst looking trick but though yeah <laughs> i can still do it it's no problem but it's just the most fun and pure like that moment of skateboarding to me is like everything that skateboarding about skateboarding that i loved was landing that trick and going like i don't know what that was but i did it and everyone i would do in front of is just like you're doing like a weird straight pressure flip like that's not even a real trick and i'm like yeah but it feels good to me that, that's think, what it's about it's about the feeling back then too it wasn't yeah. like yeah yeah your rusty slides um yeah. but then you just broke your leg recently though i broke my leg uh <laughs> on a ramp at work I grew up, I grew up without, you know, we, there was no ramps or, yeah. vert or especially again, going back to this time in the nineties, yeah. like ramp was just kind of dead. Like any transition was kind of dead. Like it was all, all about skating. street skating, yeah. you know? So I wish I had gotten more comfortable with the ramp growing up, but I just I never ramps, had yeah. that. I never had that access. You were lucky enough. You were the generation yeah. slightly before mine. So like you guys had ramps yeah. and stuff, but when we came around, everyone's just like, no ramps. Like it's, it's so all about weird. like weird, like flippy tricks and like nose rails lights and, and grinds stairs. and Did stuff you do rails like and stuff? Did you yeah. Do... I never, I've never been able to skate a rail. That was so no, scary. No, it's like the idea of it still doesn't make much sense to me and it's not exciting or enticing to me at all. Yeah. Like I just was never that kind of a skate kid, you know, like yeah. I could skate, uh, like little things I could ollie five stairs you know like heel flips switch little switch tricks here and there mm -hmm. but I was never like the guy you know yeah. and uh, still not like still was never really that athletically inclined I love surfing more than I do skating um, did you and play then sports? I loved I never I played soccer growing up okay but eventually I, st I lost interest in that and yeah. everything about my brain was centered around art okay I was like this is where I can really distinguish myself you know, like skateboarding, I wasn't the best skater. I was probably one of the worst. Yeah. I would bring my camera around to shoot photos of our friends skating, yeah. and like me skating and whatnot. But art was somewhere where I really shined yeah. and I found a voice and yeah. people looked to me to be the art guy. No one looked to me to be like, oh, you want to who's like a six skater? Look at Bobby. But they were like, do you want someone to draw something on your skateboard deck? Go yeah. to Bobby. Yeah. And I like being that guy. Yeah. You know, like I like being wanted for something. And mm -hmm. up until that point, no one was really looking to me for anything. Again, because, you know, maybe because I'm a brown kid, maybe because I'm a year younger. And everyone just kind of counted me out. And then except for, oh, maybe we'll stop picking on you if you draw me something, which is actually a thing that happened in high school with the jocks where they oh. would be like always picking on me because I was a weird, you know, skate kid at school. But they were like, if you can draw my Letterman jacket. The patches no on my Letterman jacket will leave you alone, and I was just like, "Cool, I'll do it," you know. Damn. And I get paid, awesome. so I I use Did my. Did you get art. beat up in school or no? Ever? I never got beat up. Yeah, that's great. I got into fights, but yeah. I don't. I didn't get like beat up. Um, 
but I did, you know, the jocks always picked on the skaters. Yeah. You know, like you wa- walk by lunch and they'd say, say things to you and whatnot. But I always kept it cool with them because they'd, you know, they'd sit by me in class and be like, yo, man, like, I heard you can draw. Can you, like, do this for me? I'm like, I got you. Yeah. So I was like, you know, it's like jail. Like, I had to, like, find a, <laughs> I had to find a thing, you know? Give me your lunch. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'll draw you something, you know, so. Um, I saw a quote you said that your attitude and your philosophy and your ethic came from what you learned in hardcore music. That's absolutely true. This is absolutely true. In fact, the hundreds came from hardcore. The entire uh, spirit and the attitude behind the hundreds came from hardcore. And uh, I mean, hardcore means different things to different people. But for what it represented to me was this idea of do it yourself and what I like to say, do it for yourself. And it was very independent. It was very um, doing something because you like truly cared and like not counting on anyone else to do it. And what I think I loved most about hardcore was in terms of the shows themselves was uh, it never felt like there was a hierarchy or a distinction between the artists, the bands and the purveyors and the crowd and the audience, right? Like Mm -hmm. there might be a a barricade there for like photographers or like a no mosh pit, you know, but regardless, the singer would jump into the crowd. And at certain points, if you were a casual observer of a hardcore show, it's still today. If you watch it, you'll get confused as to who's actually in the band because so many kids are on stage yeah. grabbing the microphone. And at that point, you realize it's not really about the singer. It's not really about the bassist. You know, it's about the drama. It's, it's really like everyone kind of becomes one thing and it's about the music, right? 100%. We're all sharing. We all have ownership in this thing and there's no wall. So this yeah. idea of like no walls in music is, I feel like, a very hardcore mentality. Yeah. And uh, when we were starting our brand, it was the same idea. I was like, I love streetwear. It wasn't really called streetwear at the time, but I love clothing. I love fashion. Yeah. I love all these like brands like Stussy and Fresh Drive and Extra Large. But I don't really know anything about the founders or the people behind them, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't even know what they look like. I don't know what they ate for lunch today. I don't know what their politics are. I don't know their stance on uh, vaccinations. Like, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know? And I'm like, I want to know all that stuff because when I go every night out to the shows, you know, I can sing with the band. I feel like I'm a part of the music. And then afterwards, I can, like, chop it up with them. Yeah. We can go to Denny's and hang out. And Denny's I can ask them, like, food. what are your views on vaccinations and politics? And they would tell me. And I'm like... I didn't have to support everything they believed in, but I was just like, wow, it's so transparent. I backed this band because they're being honest with me and like all ha- all cards are on the table, like nothing's being hidden. So can there be a company or a clothing company that is modeled after that type of spirit? And yeah. that's what we try to do. I was just like, that's what the blog is going to be. I'm going to be transparent. You're going to know everything about us, just like it is in hardcore. There's no distinction. There's no stage. I'm not singing down to you. Our very first t-shirt was... Uh, picture it's a photo I took actually of Slick Rick and he's rapping but I cut him out as a silhouette and the idea is like it looks like you're looking down on the singer or like looking up at him depending on like how you look at this image yeah it's kind of like optical illusion and that was the idea was this like we're not like we're not talking down to you like maybe you're talking down to us or like maybe like where does the microphone actually sit I and love that we, we wanted to just be on the same level you know so that's what we try to do and today it's a very commonly practiced type of brand, you know, a transparent, honest, uh, very straightforward, direct brand. Everyone has one. If you have a social media page, you know about, you know yeah. what the owner looks like, you know what they're into, you know what they ate for lunch today. Yeah. But back then it was like a pretty novel approach to building a clothing company. Yeah. And so where, where the name, the hundreds come from? The hundreds came from, I say many different things. Um, (laughs) Whenever something, the the real story is whenever something happens by the hundreds, 
it connotes like there's something important going on there. So it's really about this play of strength and numbers and it it refers to people and it refers to community. So it has to do with like hundreds of people. It's, it could be thousands or millions or whatever it is, but it's just to in, indicate that it's not just about one person or two guys running a brand. Yeah. It's about like all of us doing this together. So it's about community. Yeah. yeah. Which um, is also a hardcore thing. 100%. Mm-hmm. You, you were a straight edge kid too for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was straight edge from... 16 to maybe like 21 22 yeah and uh um i didn't really drink i just started eating meat i mean if you want to work the veganism vegetarian stuff in there too but um i just i at that point i just yeah i wasn't as like into claiming straight edge and uh started dating a girl who wasn't straight edge yeah who became my <laughs> who became my wife so in oh, the that's end amazing. It, it so in the out. end it all worked out but who's um, your inspiration becoming vegetarian straight edge um i think just the kids within our crew at the time yeah. that we were growing up with i yeah. especially going vegan and vegetarian at that time all the food we were eating anyways like everywhere we went we had to like you know, go to vegan friendly restaurants or we'd have yeah. to check, go into the kitchen and check the grill. So I was just like, I'm already eating like this. Yeah. Um, might as well go all the way and just like, and, and do it. And I'll tell you, and I always tell everyone this, but it was the healthiest time in my life and I never got sick for like four or five years. Yeah. So it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. yeah I know. Well, you, yeah. we, were your parents, so after you graduated from college, what, what were you going to do? Like, what was your first, like in between college and the hundreds, what were you doing? Uh, in between college and the hundreds, I, okay. So in the middle of college, I got an internship at Transworld. So awesome. I used to work at Transworld. That's sick. Um, there was a magazine at the time called Warp, which was very that, much yeah. my thing because it wasn't just skate, surf or snow. It was like everything together with some music. Yeah. Remember and, Warp Japan too? Yeah. Warp Japan we, yeah. was licensed out of that. So like we made the cover once. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I'm sure. I feel like I <laughs> remember that actually. <laughs> so, and then we transition warp it became a magazine called stance it just okay. changed the name but Remember it was the too. same thing and we were and i was a part of that yeah. and then uh i was just like i don't know what i want to do but i know i like to write which is why i was at the magazine i like to yep. shoot photos i like streetwear i love skateboarding i love music like what can i do with all of this stuff and again at that time there was no viable career path for that like there's like what do you do were you like, worried about the future at that point or no um i don't think so i don't think Many kids, I mean, kids at that point are like concerned about like, what am I going to do? And you have like insecurities, but it wasn't like, I was like, things are going to work out, you know, like I think things are going to work out. I was more worried about like, yeah, like the pressure from my family to pursue Did they like you working at Transworld? Did they like your job you're in? No. Okay. They were like, get a real job. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, the year after I graduated college, I moved to Japan and I was writing for Japan because 9-11 happened and all of the writing jobs, they dried up in the states interesting like, overnight and so i moved to japan my girlfriend was living there um i lived there for months and then i was writing for all the magazines out there and they loved it they were like oh an american guy who came from the skate punk and snow and surf world can write for stuff out here and talk about like american culture yeah. and then meanwhile the american magazines back home were like oh you can talk about like japanese culture because there was this great dialogue that was happening at the time mm-hmm. And through that, I found more and more about the Japanese streetwear, like a bathing ape, you know, like the no, startup brands at the yeah, time, like Bounty Hunter. That's right? our boy, so, Hikaru, shout Hikaru. out. Hikaru, yeah. So yeah. Um, visiting those stores and just like my mind being blown by collecting these little bear bricks, the sneaker. Right. All the uh, toys. All the toys, the Medicom stuff, the the, the sneaker retro thing. Retro device. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The world's mine, yeah. Yeah, Love so like such an exciting time 
pre-internet for the most part, definitely pre-social media, but literally like walking the streets of Harajuku, stumbling into stores, going like, what is this? You yeah. Know, like Takashita Street. Yeah. 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 And just like, it, what an incredible time, you know? And then the, the kids were dressing like that Fruits magazine style, like wacky, like, um, you know, hair colors and everything. And yeah. it's just, it was such an... Such a cool thing. Perfect timing for you to be there, too. Perfect time. So, yeah. you know, stars aligned and collided, and I was there. And then when I was there, I was like, my this is not for me, the freelance life. Like, I am not disciplined enough to do it. So I ended up going to law school. Wow. Yeah. So I went to law school when I got home. What year was that? That was 2002. Yeah. Okay, yeah. After, okay. 9/11, so, yep. Yeah. Right. A year after 9-11, I went to law wow. school. Yeah. And I went to law school because I'd always had this background and interest in activism and social justice and and just awareness. And I figured if I can go to law school, I can kind of break shit up from the inside, like get into the system, infiltrate the system, infiltrate the system. Like that was my thing. I was like, Show I, to ball. I was like ACLU, like sign up for the NLG National Lawyers Guild. I would go to like all the protests and like document like police brutality awesome, and stuff man. like that I was like that you're taking I, pictures yeah, obviously and yeah. taking pictures of great like photographer, police by the brutality way. thank you thank great you photographer. i try to do a little bit of you everything. do everything yes um but yeah i was like went to law school for that purpose and in the middle of school I, that's when i met ben my uh partner in the hundreds now you met him at school at law school i met him in school okay and, you know we were interested in law but we didn't really want to be lawyers i think we were buying time more than anything and i yeah. knew i didn't want to be like a corporate lawyer like, yeah i didn't want to go into like big firm life um and again back then it was a different time so like nobody wore supreme like if you saw someone wearing supreme it was like that guy actually flew out to new york to buy it knows yeah. what it is it's a really and usually if you saw someone wearing streetwear back then you could they were doing something interesting like you'd be like yo man what are you doing oh i'm an independent film director or like you tight. know because you kind of really had to be in the know you were like tight in the circles fresh job. tight circle 69 yeah yeah so what was the brand you liked what were you rocking at that point in time i was wearing a lot of supreme and a life okay bathing ape okay and that was mm -hmm. in the early, like 2002 era yeah in the 90s yeah it was extra large all dickies. day dickies fuct <laughs> Were fucked. fucked. Yeah. yeah, fucked. Um, triple there five was soul. Five, five, five soul. Triple five. What was the Beastie Boys uh, one? Extra large. Yeah. Extra large. Yeah, 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 yeah. Loved extra large. In fact, if there's any brand that I can say had as much like an aesthetic influence on what we do or what I try to emulate more than anything is extra large. Because awesome. extra large really captured this idea of like LA workwear. Like when Eli opened that store on Vermont, they had the extra large store. And what was interesting was they had like their extra large t-shirts, but then they also had like Dickies, ben Carhartt, Davis. Ben Davis. Mm -hmm. And like, that was something that was like so uniquely LA West coast. Yeah. Like, it's not an East coast thing. Like East coast streetwear at the time, like was like PNB nation, triple five soul, like had a certain look, but LA streetwear was just like, no, we're going to, we're all about like the swamp meat workwear. Yeah. You know? Like that. the, the Chicano Latino culture, like borrowing from that or ripping from it and more, yeah. more than anything. And so like, that, that's what I loved more, more than any other streetwear in terms of like what it looked like. But as far as like brands that I thought were cool, like late nineties, early two thousands, yeah. I mean, of course, it was Supreme and A Life and yeah, and uh, and Bape, yeah. So when yeah. you got back to, so you're in Japan. When you got back, you started. Yes. So uh, I was in Japan. I 
came back, started law school, met Ben in the middle of law school. Shout out and to Ben. Then, uh, yeah, shout out to Ben. Wouldn't be here today without Ben. And then uh, and then we started, you know, we, we did all three years of law school. We took the bar exam. The morning after the bar exam, we started the brand full time, even though we were already running wow. in school. But like usually it, the bar exam is a three year test, a three, three day test. It's, you study for it for three years and you take it over three days. And so you're exhausted by the last day. And sure. You, you usually travel in Europe. Like everyone leaves town, goes on vacation. We woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning, walked into my apartment. Or Ben walked into my apartment. We just got to work. Started Did you have the name t-shirts. already? Did you have the bomb the already? The name was already going. The brand at that point was about a year and a half, two years old. Okay. No bomb yet. But the name was around. And we were known for certain t-shirts. The biggest one was a t-shirt that said Hip Hop is Dead I remember on that. the front. And on the back, there was like a lot of the fallen MCs. It was like Big Pac, Big L, Big Pun, Jam Master J. And uh, so it was like literally hip hop is dead. Like yeah. our idea of what hip hop was is gone. Um, but also like, where's the culture at? You know, and I wrote this like little like, like I forgot what it said on the back. But there's like a little paragraph I'd written about like, you know, what's gone on with the hip hop culture. And the idea of like hip hop is dead came from like, you know, crass, like punk is dead. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, totally. so that was also like another twist on it. That's before Nas's record too, I think. It was before Nas's yeah, record. Was dead, yeah. And you know, I'm not saying I, Nas took it from me, but like <laughs> that t-shirt was everywhere for two years. Dada-ist. Yeah. Everyone wore it. Yeah. And so that was our first big hit. Then we had a couple more big hits and then, um, the logo stuff didn't come around till like year three, year four of the company. And that's when that stuff really took off. When did yeah. it become like, like a passion project and an idea that you guys had together when it became like, holy shit, this is like, this is going to be like a career. This is like legit. Like this is like our business. So I like, get you weren't making money that. without the jump. No, no, no. So like enough, enough to making one, the point we were making enough money just to get by was yeah. maybe two years in. And it wasn't like we were making like tons of money. It yeah. was just Ben saying we have enough to pay rent for my apartment, which is where the, company was based out of at the time and so i that was right when we were graduating school i remember um it was in our last year of law school and ben came in he was just like i got great news and i was like what he's just like dude we're making enough money now which is probably like a thousand bucks a month like something dumb okay he's like we're making enough money we were 23 still 24 he's like we're making enough money to where we can pay the bills we can pay ourselves to eat a little bit and i'm like good we're solid. I'm the happiest man in the world. Did you have a day job too at that time? No, no, no. We were because we were still in school. Oh yeah, okay. So we were just living off of school money, Damn. and we were just like getting by. And so I was just like, "That's it. Like, I don't need to be a lawyer. I don't need any other job. This is all I've ever needed." And again, like going back to the point of, that's the happiest I've ever been. Like, I've never yeah. been happier than that moment yeah. of knowing. I have just enough to live like great. I can make, I can make stuff that I love for a living and make a living doing it. Like let's go. And so, you know, I would say that was the moment when we realized, but it was like literally like a thousand bucks a month, which for kids today is, means nothing. Yeah. But for me at the time meant everything. And were yeah. your parents worried at that point? Like so worried. Like, because what's this we, brand? Like what's the hundred? Yeah. Like, what, what are you, are you doing? doing? Like, yeah. especially a t-shirt company. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You're, you graduated from law school. I was looking at a, a starting job of $125,000 a year. Damn. Yeah. Right out the gate because I was near the top of my class at, in law school and I had really 
solid offers lined up with some of these big firms. Yeah. And I was just like, hell no. Like, I never wanted to do that to begin with. I went to law school for this reason. I don't want that kind of a job. I'm not going to push paper at a desk. Some people, they thrive in it. Good yeah. for them. We need those people we in do, the world. Need them, yeah. You know, we need the we need the paper pushers. We need the people to be the cogs in the machine to make the machines work. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I can't do it. Like, I, I just need to make enough to get by. My parents didn't understand. They didn't understand for maybe like six or seven years. Six or seven yeah. years. Yeah. And then finally they like maybe, you know, 2011, 2012, which is not that long That's ago. Crazy, wow. You know, man. they like finally were like. Okay. okay. Like, I guess you should have pursued a wow. career in the arts and you were right the whole time. And we apologize. Yeah. And to their defense, like I wasn't even bummed about it because I was like, look, you guys were scared shitless. You came to this country. You had no idea that the internet was going to happen. You didn't know what street where it was. Of course you're scared. You're walking into like a black box of what America is and like what the future of your children could be. And so like, I don't judge you. You were just worried. You know, like you didn't know what the like how does how e-commerce was going to happen. Yeah. You know, like none of that. Like no one knows. So like that also goes to the point if you're a kid today and 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 your parents are telling you one thing and you're in and the authorities and the experts and everyone's telling you this is what the future is going to look like. No one knows. No one knows. You know, yeah, it's and I, it's, did it's you all pr- speculation. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to prove yourself to them? Like I can yeah. do this on my own. Yeah. Like, I still do. I still, I'm still, even vying, now, huh? I'm still vying for their approval. I don't think as children, we ever really stopped vying for like our dad's approval or our mom's right. approval yeah. or whoever raised us. Like we're always looking for, for them to th- say like, good job. Good job. I'm yeah. proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you did it. You Validate. did it. Yeah, a little validation, you know, especially in street where it's a bunch of insecure men. We're all looking for validation from we all have daddy issues. Yeah, that's I swear. Like, that's I what streetwear is all about. It's like graffiti, tattoo, streetwear. We're all, we all have daddy issues. We're all looking for validation from other men. Like none of my guy friends who aren't in streetwear have this issue of like going to parties where it's just like 90% other guys sizing each other up, approving of each other's shoes, saying like, all right, you're cool enough to hang out with me. Wow. Even adults do that shit. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. That's like oh, all yeah. it is. It's so, all it is. So when the hundreds came out, who was like, so the hot brands, you come out, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you a threat? Are you getting respect? Are people like no? Welcome, welcome to our branding world. Or welcome to yeah, yeah, no, because um, only street riding was no. vision streetwear. Like yeah, back, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, this generation of streetwear that I started off in with other brands in our class, those brands are like Mishka, Mighty Healthy. You know, um, yeah. you know, Staple and Ten Deep had already kind of been doing it for a while before that, but you can lump them in. Let's say yep. Life was lumped in, Married to the Mob. Yeah, um, I remember so, that shit too. So brands like that, that was our class. That was our generation of brands. But like, no, there was no immediate respect. In fact, to this day, like most of those people are still not like those brands, but the older guys were like, oh, the hundreds is whack. And, and those uh, are brands beef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's there's like, always, like the music. It's in every like, kind of, of graffiti, course. like graffiti. Yeah. Beef or- and back then I, I keep saying back then but really back then in like the early 2000s streetwear was a non-existent space right like it, it there was like only a few players only a few stores that carried us so it really was dog eat dog and so a lot of the guys and girls who came up from that time period still carry on this attitude thinking that there's only like 200 people who buy this stuff yeah. we're all you know there's like it's dog eat dog when we forget that streetwear is global yeah, and it's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And uh, there are brands that are making millions of dollars a year that you'll never even hear of that exist in their own niche. And then there's a streetwear brand for comic books. There's a streetwear brand for 
um, you know, leather goods. There's a streetwear brand for hot sauces. Like there really is. There's like truck yeah. sauce, which is like a streetwear hot sauce. Like there's streetwear wow. brands for everything. And so like it's just funny thinking of the guys in our scene who are still like very much like doggy dog hating on everybody. The truth is it's like the world is a very big place. Yeah, there's room for everybody. And there's room for everyone. Especially with like China with its doors wide open now, which is what's final fun funding and 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 energizing streetwear more than anything. Mm-hmm. And the market and the economy the global economy in general is China. So it's like yeah. now we have China. Now we have Russia. Like yeah. we don't need to worry about just selling to the same like two thousand people in America anymore. Yeah, you plus know. online stuff, obviously. And mm-hmm. But when you opened your first store, that was a big deal. Oh, that was a really big deal. And we did... Because there wasn't many other stores on Supreme. That, it was Supreme on that street. On Fairfax. Yeah. Yeah, so we were really early on Fairfax. Um, Fairfax, for those who don't know, is um historic Jewish district in L.A. Uh, Canner's Deli, which I just heard Rest is leaving. Peace. Yeah. Oh. The guy died. Cantor died. Yeah, the owner. I think they're leaving, too. I think wow. the, Yeah, I just read something at the oh. restaurant. That's a staple of Fairfax in Los Angeles. Staple of L.A. Yeah. Shout out to Cantor's. So that's what... Great chopped salads. So good. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> Best ceiling display yeah. ever. Kibitz Room, Guns N' Roses. Oh, wow. Guns N' Roses started in Canners in the Kibitz Room. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, that's true. So uh, Fairfax <laughs> used to be a, a sleepy uh, Jewish district and not much going on outside mm-hmm. of like some um, Jewish bakeries or some yeah. Israeli eateries and stuff like that. And then um, in the early, in the mid 2000s, there was a store called Reserve. It was a bookstore and eventually became a, the Fresh Dive flagship. But oh, wow. That's more, right in the back. There was books in the front and that was in the yeah, back. Yeah. That was Nama, okay. Nama Javoni's store and she partnered with Rick Klotz on it. And that, to me, it was the first real store in Fairfax. Wow. It wasn't the first streetwear store per se, but it was like what started bringing the culture around. Mm. Supreme then opened because La Brea kind of had its thing with Undefeated. Oh, that's right. Union, Stussy was over on La Brea, but um, Supreme chose Fairfax as like the 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 base for their first LA store. Okay. And so that was a big deal. And Ben and I, we found a little office space up the street on a side street called Rosewood. And that building had burned down the year before. And so everything was new and cheap. And so we moved in right away. So we had a little office there and it became the office. our hangout. It was like yeah. our little, our weird little headquarters. Yeah. And uh, eventually that became our store. But um, that was 2006, 2007. And mm. since then, like Fairfax has kind of become not only a streetwear capital, but like it's almost like a mall now. It's insane. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't the even recognize. Street. Yeah, I don't it's recognize. Yeah, there's always lines at every store. Um, I don't recognize like most of the people who work in the stores anymore. So like a lot of the the you know the golden age of what Fairfax was to me is gone. But yeah. like it's still like an amazing place to go to watch culture happen. Kids come together. And streetwear really needed that. Like at the end of the day, my problem with streetwear from the from the beginning was it was just commerce. It was yeah. just clothes. Like it's just like people selling clothes, and there's not much culture around that. I always mm-hmm. knew that there needed to be some kind of art base around it, or a way yeah. for the community to actually come together. So what Fairfax did was it provided a venue for young people to come together and just have conversations, skate together, drink and smoke yeah. together, and also just like build. And then the Odd Future guys came together yep. because of Fairfax and there was music now on the street. And so a real Fairfax culture started to have sweet. Well, yeah. And then you have all these great restaurants, more venues for people to meet. Yeah. John but and Vinny's. John and Vinny's. But you you can't just have a culture based around commerce or just around goods or product. Like it's great. not enough, which is 
my complaint about a lot of reseller focused streetwear today or reseller culture is just we're just concentrating on product and like you just have that certain supreme hoodie or you just have that certain off-white shirt and it's just about the value of something that's not culture culture is actually providing a space for people to come together and have conversations and share and that's why fairfax was so effective and that's why that period of streetwear was so potent and created the world that we live in today you know yeah it's the same and again drawing comparisons back to punk and hardcore that's why those music genres and that spirit and that attitude will never die because you're always providing a venue for people to just come together you know to get out of their safe spaces and to bump into other people and like literally like-minded people in the pit like connect and push and and resist and like all of that is so important for people to uh to even like exist in this world. Like we need connection. We need to like push off of people. We need yeah. to like share thoughts and sit outside and take a break. And like, what do you do? And where do you come from? And what's your name? And yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, very that's, topical. Yeah. yeah. The music I think is like almost a byproduct of all that. Yeah, like we just the need, message. we just need, the, yeah, we just need like a, a place for people to come together always. And as long as you have that, you'll always have a, a great energy and culture happening wherever yeah. that is. Yeah. What kind of that stuff that you do learn from all your experiences with music also that you instill in your children as a parent, like becoming a dad, um, coming where you come from? I, like, what did I learn from music that I try to instill? Yeah, some of the instill. values you learned throughout your life. I think, like, you know, everything I was just saying, the importance yeah. of um, listening to other people's opinions, yeah. right? Like, discussion, d- keeping things open-minded, yeah. like... Um, learning how to negotiate different kinds of people, you yeah. know, like uh, just and just knowing that kids have to understand and people in general have to understand that it's like the world is bigger than just them, right? Like a true state of happiness, a true state of success and joy is like just being completely selfless, right? That's also a very core tenet of every world religion, every philosophy yeah. is just like selflessness. If we can get to a point where we're thinking of the other person more than we're thinking about ourselves, then like yeah. we're in a great place if everyone can do that. Um, and so like, yeah, music provided that for me. Right. So like, I get to hear what other people's thoughts are. I get to share different things. And, and so like, yeah, I think that more than anything, you consider yourself like optimistic or pessimistic person. If you asked my wife or someone who knows me very well, (laughs) she would say I'm a pessimist. Oh, interesting. I'm a, I'm like always, I'm always down the middle with everything. Yeah. Like I'm never one way or the other. The consummate middle child. I'm the, yeah, (laughs) maybe that's what it is. Like I, every personality test I've ever done a Myers-Briggs, like I'm so down the middle, like I'm not one or the other. So, Mm. you know, I'm very optimistic in some ways and like super dark and and negative in others. And I don't know. I've never seen that side of you. So a negative dark space. I was in that space for a lot of this week because I was frustrated with work. Okay. So, but you know, I've, I use that in a way to like, I also do that in a way to challenge myself to get better. Yeah. Like I always think it's a plus when I'm in that space. I'm like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I frustrated? Stuck in a rut. It's because I know that there's something on the other side and I'm trying to get to it. So how do I get to it? How do I get to it? Do you have like daily rituals or exercise or things you do every day to make it through the day to stay positive? Um, no. I probably should. <laughs> I at some point don't in the day. Don't you have that bike in your crib though? What's that bike? Oh, the Peloton. Peloton. I don't. I don't do it enough. Oh yeah, surfing. Okay. I try to surf. I have to surf at least once or twice a week in yeah. order for me to just maintain some uh, semblance of happiness, yeah. a state of happiness in my life. So, so like home to your family surfing. To make you happy. Yeah. Surfing is important, and at some point, I have to connect with my family, both of my sons and my wife, in some way. Yeah. Like my kids, as you know kids have this amazing way of just providing a reset 
And so 100%. whatever's going on at work or whatever's going on in this really fucked up world and time we live in now, sometimes I just need to get away and sit down and talk to my kids for just like a second. Yeah. And it's a reset. And like, thank God we have them. Like, yeah. thank God we have family. Thank God we have friends to be able to do that for us because I wouldn't be able to do it without like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Rusty had a couple questions. Rusty Pistachio, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Yeah, Rusty. How you doing? <laughs> hey. Oh, one more thing. I thought it was amazing when Jay-Z was wearing your shit. Yeah, Jay. That oh, right. That was incredible. That was, that was a really moment. big. That was a really big moment. Crazy for big. Us. Was it the safety pins all over the shirt? It's when Jay Z came back from retirement. It was the hangar tour. Yeah, and we didn't know anything it about was a safety this. pin shirt. Though he wore an all over print safety pin hoodie. And I was safe, so happy for you, man. This is a thing that nobody really knows because everyone at the time all over print was like a trend. Yeah, and I made this hoodie with it looked like safety pins were all stuck in it, and no one really understood. And I was like, that's like a, a homage to like punk. You yeah, know? it's like it was the a old punk days. thing. To do the safety so, pain thing. But no so, one really knew that. But I was so happy for you, man. That was such yeah. a huge, because you're a hip-hop head, too. Yeah. And I want to go on record saying uh, that maybe the first band collab was H2O. I think it was. It was either Avail or H2O. Oh, Avail. That's right. Avail, yeah. yeah. Avail what, year, what, what year did that shirt come out? I don't remember. That was in the mid 2000s. It's definitely time that for would have been around two seven. Definitely time for H two O collab. Two thousand um, seven or eight. Rusty, yeah. Rusty was yeah. was here. Rusty yeah. hit me up this week. Rusty goes, "Oh, you doing, Bobby? <laughs> I have some questions for him. He sent me all these questions. Yeah. So I was like, Rusty, just come to my crib. and ask him questions in person because Rusty it. was an art student. Rusty had an art major. Rusty makes jewelry, and yeah, Rusty, Rusty also deals with people bootlegging stuff. Oh, and, uh, and con- constantly, it's um the, the the challenge, and that's what I was curious with your with your street brand, um. And I'm so psyched that I could sit here and listen to all the things that you were saying <laughs> prior it's awesome. because it, uh, it gives gives a little validation to my mm. question. It's like um, mm. um, knowing that you're community minded and knowing that that's where our, our band comes from. The The only reason we started the band was yeah. to be part of a community and to it was more about the message then than yeah. the music. 100%, it was more about the scene been. and being part of a family and, yeah. um, and, and getting some validation from our our peers yeah and um but i know um in this day and age with social media there are so many images that are just flashed in your face over and over and over and um when i came up in art school it was always about how unique and how do you Mm. make it your own where where is your your niche or your pocket and i know a lot of times you'll create something unique you put it out there and everyone wants to to rip it to bite it and appropriate without giving any um any homage or any credit to the the mm-hmm. the person who actually created it yeah, yeah. And i was i was curious if if there's if you've had problems with bootleggers or if you've oh had yeah with, you know i think that's just, your stance on that whole yeah mess <laughs> of course we get bootlegs ripped all the time there's this really famous story with us and american eagle american eagle store sold our mascot which is the atom bomb cartoon character and they put them all over the boxers and wow. you know like we went up against them wow. um, american eagle? Crazy. yeah and they had like a crazy team of lawyers and they're like we're not backing down and we're like you have to take these down and they're like no and it was just Ben and I in a room. And granted, like we went to law school, so we knew a little bit of yeah, how to argue, but we couldn't cute. pay for an attorney, you know? So we would have these long phone calls with them. And in the end, um, I remember we were about to just relent because I was just like, they, these guys are going to suck us of legal fees. Uh, they're going to just exhaust us and we're not going to yeah. be able to. So they're just going to be able to sell this thing. And at, at this one point, they were they almost gave it to us like, 
how about this? We'll do you guys a favor. We'll license it from you guys. They were forcing a license on us. Like, we're going to use your logo. We'll give you guys 10%. You'll be happy with that, right? And we're like, we don't want you using it at all. And they're like, yeah, straight but you're going to... Straight stole it. Yeah, they straight up were like, yeah, we'll do you a favor and we'll give you a little bit of kickback. And we were like, what? Like, this is not... You straight up stole our logo. And we were so bummed out. I remember we were on this one phone call with them and they had like six or seven attorneys on their side and Ben and I were like pretty hopeless and you know, we're small brand at the time. We didn't have much. All we had was that character. Like that was kind of like the entire weight of the company was based in this one design. And um, we're like, damn, like these guys just straight up hijacked our company in a way. And like, there's nothing we can do about it. And it's the big guy got over on us. And, um, I remember just thinking, what do we have? Like, what are our advantages at this point? Which is, you know, to any great innovator leader, like it's about being resourceful and yeah, turning around the negatives into positives, right? Mm-hmm. I was just like, number one, we're small. We have nothing to lose. So like, we can fight this thing. And number two, I have a voice. Like I had a blog that had a big readership at the time. I had yeah. a million unique readers a month. It wow. didn't translate into millions of dollars. It never translated into millions of dollars a month. But that's but a lot of years. <laughs> it, all, it ne- all I needed was the strength of our community, right? Yeah. The power of the people. And so I got back on the phone and I said, hey, look, we're not going to agree to whatever ag- agreement, this, this compromise uh, you guys are forcing upon us. What I will tell you is that if you go and continue selling these boxers, um, I'm going to write about it. And I'll tell you who reads my blog. Um, It's all the people who are at the top of the trend pyramid. They're all the fashion um, trendsetters. They're people on the front lines of culture and influence. And uh, I said, I'm going to tell them the whole story. Um, they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? They're like defamation. I'm like, well, the truth is a defense against defamation. So you can't say anything about that. And they were like, all right, hold on. We'll call you right back. They hang up the phone and Ben and I are looking at each other like just laughing like, okay, what a bunch of morons. And they call us back within like five minutes and they're like, all right, we're going to dump them. And they stopped doing it. And so like, you know, we didn't have the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to spend on legal fees to fight this thing. But I, but I, you know, I was just like, sue us. Fine. Sue us. Do whatever you want. I was like, I'm going to write it anyways. Yeah. I was like, I got nothing. Sue Mm. me. So like, that's a strength when you don't have anything. That's amazing. You have nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, like if I had, if I had a lot of assets, like today, I wouldn't be able to do that because they're going to, they would be like, oh yeah, we're going to sue you for all your money. And I would be scared because like, I have money. I have things to lose. Yeah. But back then I had nothing to lose. So it was just like, that's such a strength. Like I got nothing to lose. Like come at me. So you know, that's like, I guess that's a pretty good example of that. But it look, yeah. it happens all the time. People rip from us all the time. 99.9% of the time, I honestly don't care because I'm better than my last design and I'm already on to the next one. Yeah. So if you're still like, that. if you're nipping at my heels and like you're copying something I did last season, that's totally cool. But like real recognize real cream rises to the top. Like people know who's on, a fr- who's like doing things and progressive and like the most innovative. Yeah. And like, I just don't really care. I don't believe in, in real ownership of ideas either. Streetwear was built on this premise of parody and reappropriating yeah. other people's 
cultures, reappropriating other people's designs, ideas. Like that's the whole thing. It's like a very Warhol like parody. Let's mix, remix everything constantly. Yeah. So it's none, none of these ideas were mine. You know, like everything yeah. I learned, I was inspired by other people who were inspired by other people. Like yeah. I love Supreme. Supreme loves Polo. Polo loves, you know, like it just keeps yeah. going on. Yeah, there's yeah. really so, nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> like we're all here just moving ideas around. And the only original part of what I offer the world is that it's me. Your right. Voice. It's yeah. my voice in my tone with my unique perspective of like my rich background, which is, you know, everyone has a very rich history, you know, like everyone's story is complicated, complex. Yeah. We, I want to hear all of those. I want to hear all of everyone's origin stories. Cause like, it's all different. Everyone's been through hardships. Everyone has a story to tell. And like my story feels like this, but it's not to say it's better or worse than the next guys 100%. or girls. And so like, that's what makes my brand unique. That's the only thing that makes my brand unique. Otherwise I'm stealing and ripping everything that everyone else done before. <laughs> what, was yeah. your, what, was your what was your favorite collab or like dream collab? Like, oh my God, I can't believe this happening. Um, oh man, I loved working with Garfield. So yeah. I've done Garfield twice with Jim Davis. Wow. And Garfield because um, I'm an 80s kid. Yeah. I learned how to draw by reading Garfield comics. Awesome. I always say like I learned how to write my humor came from Calvin and Hobbes and I learned how to draw by by reading Garfield. That's amazing. And so to be able to, you know, when you're growing up in the 80s, like my clock was Garfield, my bed sheets were Garfield. <laughs> I was like, I, I ate lasagna thinking I was Garfield. That's, that's, and then when you grow up and you're like, I actually get to work with the person who drew Garfield. It's that's a dream amazing, come dude. true. That yeah. is awesome. But I have a lot of those. Like it's, it's, Pretty, and then another one too. The Back to the Future was pretty. Back to the Future, my favorite film of all time, and to work with Bob Gale. And you have a, do you have a DeLorean? I have. I, I sold it two years ago now. He had, but I had a DeLorean. Was, yeah. I had oh, the no world's way. best DeLorean for like ten years. Wow. Yeah. And it was it had three four hundred miles when I bought it. It was the best. It was literally was the best. If you called the DeLorean company, they would say the best one belongs to Bobby. Wow. Wow, man, yeah. that's a dream. <laughs> it was that's awesome. Amazing. It was awesome, but it's, it's like, also like a very difficult and. Um, complicated car to drive. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, it's I'm like, sure. it's so backwards. So that's great. Back to, yeah. back to Beach and Garfield. Holy and Garfield. shit. Yeah. So you ready player one? <laughs> yeah. 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 So ready player one, there was a Bigfoot <laughs> truck in there. We did a Bigfoot project back to the future. There was like so many parts. We're working with Lena Waithe on a project. So it's just for whatever reason, that story keeps like coming back into my life. And then how'd you get yeah. involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign? So, um, at that time, speaking there during, was crazy. Yeah. So I, I, uh, wrote part of his speech during that camp in his first wow. LA speech when he came and he, he spoke at the Coliseum. So, um, at that time I was just being very open and receptive to like anything, anyone that was running in the race. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of put a call out there. Like I was in, invited to go, um, to a Hillary thing and uh, and and listen to her and and have a discussion there and then um, that's great after the Hillary thing uh, my friends were affiliated with the Bernie camp and were like hey we want you to meet somebody and at that time I mean Bernie wasn't an unknown in yeah. the political universe yeah. but yeah. in the greater mainstream understanding of what politics were like people were like Bernie who like yeah. who's this who's old, old like, senator from Vermont. So, uh, who you know, marched, I got in marched for, yeah, for human rights Ex and yes, he's <laughs> civil a, rights. I love Bernie. <laughs> I think he's a great guy. Like, look, every politician has like things you can nitpick about him. I think Bernie's heart is in the right place. Always. He's yeah. a really good person. And he's uh, running again too. I heard he is. He okay. just announced that he's running again. You might do another speech for him. Yeah. So, um, anyways, <laughs> short story long, I end up in a room. <laughs> I don't know who I'm meeting. I really don't know who this person is. I'm, I'm sitting in a room. It's me, Sarah Silverman. 
um, one of the guys from The Doors, who I'm John wow. Trident, or I forget his name. Uh, so random. So just a few of us in the room, and I'm like, what's going on? Bernie comes in, and he's just like, look, I'm about to take the stage in an hour. We have to work on my speech. And so we all started helping him write the speech, which was an amazing moment, because then he walked out to a crowd of 30,000 people, and he's literally like reciting some of the things that we had discussed about. Obviously, there were his ideas, his beliefs and tenets, but like I just helped formulate in a certain way, and like that was a pretty big moment for me, you know? That's amazing, yeah. That's man. That's pretty cool, Hell you know? Because yeah. awesome. you kind of kept your politics out of your business. Not really. That's But not, I mean, like, not like in your face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, I mean, we have beliefs that we put into yeah. our art. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like, you would, uh, I didn't necessarily, like, back anyone. Like, yeah. I still didn't necessarily back anybody at that time. Um, what I was trying to do is what, uh, if, if people who are listening to this don't really know the history with our company, we are part apparel and we are also part media platform. Yeah. So, we do a lot of editorial and we like to talk a lot about not just the culture, street culture, street wear, but also things that I think are relevant and pertinent to youth. And so what I was doing at that time was talking uh, um, as much about the political landscape at the time, putting that out there, like for people that kind of come to their own decision. Yeah. And we used to make a t-shirt. We bring it back every few years. It says stay informed. Yes, and the messaging on the back is really like, look, other people are making decisions for you. It is your responsibility to step up and staying to be informed and to make your own decisions for yourself. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I try not to judge people on the decisions that they make. I think there are certain things that I take a pretty hardline stance against, like racism, anything that uh, um, actually um, creates fear or like physical violence or against someone's corporal body, like that kind of stuff is off limits to me. Like there's like, that's non-negotiable. There is no like multiple sides to racism, like racism's mm -hmm. racism. It's Great. a no, it's a no non-negotiable for me, but there are other certain things that like, I think we can have like lots of discussions around and like, that's what I want to provide. I want people to just think about politics i want people to think about what other people be aware go through. what's happening around be aware yeah. and then just come up with your own decisions like yeah. it doesn't have to be my decision it doesn't have to be like my truth but like as long as you know why what it is you that you believe like i feel like i i've done my job i love you know? that and i yeah. and and to me too like i think we as humans we're always in a state of flux we never know exactly what the truth is like my yeah. opinions change with new information like some of my opinions have changed from a year ago yeah and like i think that's what it means to be human but like i take an active role in defining what those truths are for me yeah. and i just want the same for everybody else like I love I love being proven wrong, you know, like I, I, I read more from the other side, quote unquote, the other side, let's say like a Trumpy side or alt right side. I read more of that stuff than I do stuff that supports my own beliefs. Interesting. Like I want to understand more about people who don't necessarily share my opinions just so I have the empathy from where they came from. Yeah, you know? I love that. Get into um, their mindset. Into their mindset. I think there's certain th I think there is like pure hate. You know, I think that is a thing. Yeah. I think that comes from like a very scary and dark place that like I don't quite understand. It starts and in the home, I think. In it, insecurity. I, and it definitely starts in the home. And I don't fear. think it just starts with your parents. I think it started like for generations. And it's a really yeah. hard cycle to break, to yeah. be honest. It's in the culture, right? Like yeah. a lot of racism. It's like it's literally in the culture. It's in the way that they serve the food. It's in the way that, you know, it's just the nuances, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you have kids, you see that. You see how so you see it all. It's crazy, right? like man. how I talk smoke to my clears. You see all kinds of shit. Right, never like saw before. I, the way I talk to my kids about race and how my friends come over or I have friends come around who are like, "Wow, I can't believe you talked to them." I'm like, "You should all talk to your kids about race in this regard." Like, yeah. they know that they go to school and this kid is being treated differently than this kid. You know, like I'm having an issue this week with my kid is on a basketball team. Most of the kids are Asian. It's a couple of black kids and one of the back 
black kids was kind of being bullied against for his race. Oh, wow. You know, and that's like a very long discussion in our house. It's a very serious discussion. And it's an understanding of we even as Asian people can be white passing and we don't even understand what it's like to be black. We don't know what it's like to be white. We don't know what it's like to be black. But put yourself as much as you can in that person's shoes and just to try to have an understanding of what they must be going through. Yeah. And I think, honestly, the black experience in this country, it sucks. Like, I really do. Like, you know, Chris Rock has this quote of, you know, no one wants to be me and I'm rich. You know, like no one wants to be like, right. Like, and like, that's like a very hard truth. Like what black people have to go through is different from what Asians, Latinos, white people have to go through in this country. It's a very real thing. I'll never quite understand what it's like because I'm not black and I'm not trying to pretend like I understand what that experience is like. But like, I've seen it my whole life with my own eyes. And like, I know it's different. I know when I walk into a room and it's me and like a black friend, like I know how people feel about that black friend as opposed to like how they, oh, look, it's a, you know, this weak Asian guy, like it's not going to do anything. Women as well. Women as well. Right. And women is right. So there's inherent differences in how culture treats. And so, we in our house we try to just teach a lot of compassion empathy love that try man. not to judge you yeah. know um so you don't have to agree but at least try to be kind exactly and have a discussion exactly be open to the discussion be open to having your mind changed like we'll all be better if like we're constantly having our minds changed like yeah that's why i think we have other people like we're here for mm-hmm. that reason yeah to learn like, <laughs> to learn to yeah. be challenged and yeah. to like never thought about it that way never thought about it that way like that's the best feeling every day of like huh Never looked at it that way before. You know, I love doing that with the hundreds with design, like give people clothes that people are like, Oh, I never thought about doing it that way before. Like that's what we're here for is to do that for other people. Yeah. I feel, I feel like you probably know this right, but from an outside perspective and now, especially having this conversation with you too, that what I know more about your background is that your brand has brought every type of person together. Like skaters, punk rockers, kids who are into hip hop, all different races. So that's amazing which accomplishment. Is, which mm. is something you never can plan yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah what, it's like. not just for like one type of kid. And that's also what I loved about it. How yeah. like you, you, you're, you love hip hop and hardcore Residual. and skateboarding, all, everything all combined. Yeah. And back for us growing up, like you said, it was all separated. Like on those Bones Brigades, it was only punk rock music in the background. Yep. And now it's like hip hop and everything's mixed. Everything's all yeah. together. And I feel like. The hundreds is a big part of that. Yeah, yeah I, I, together, I don't know. Multicultural if, brand. I don't know if we were a big part of it, but yeah, that's always been a big reason for what we, yeah. you know, I, I, I tell this story of when we were starting um, apparel brands like ours either fell into skate or urban. And yeah. there was uh, the only one that was in between was a brand like LRG and they used to call it Skurbin. Like LRG never called it that, but the media and the industry were like Skurbin, you know, it's a mix of skate <laughs> and urban. And what they were really saying was clothes for black people or inspired by black culture or like clothes for white people. So this was like DC and like Maddox and like skatey stuff and yeah, you know, Quicksilver and Zoomies. Yeah. And then like urban was like up against the wall and against all odds, like those kinds of urban wow. brace, urban based stores, which really meant like black or black culture. And so when Ben and I were starting, look, Ben is, of, <laughs> he's Persian, yeah, Persian Jew from LA. Like <laughs> I'm a Korean American kid. And when stores would approach us and they'd be like, are you guys like, you know, are you like skate or urban? And I'm like, well, I skate and he listens to rap. And they're like, well, are you for like white kids or like black <laughs> this is kids? A real thing. These are, these were real questions. Wow. Wow, and so man. I was just like, uh, not applicable. Like, look at me. I'm an Asian person. <laughs> this guy's like Middle Eastern. Like, where do we fall into that? That's crazy. You, you know? think about shit like that starting yeah. a company. No, I mean it's not like that anymore. Race is such a big yeah. thing. Like, yeah. and there was just there was very little representation from people who look like Ben and I in our industry, and very mm. much you know, look like 
the the keep talking that's fine uh you know the i think the 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 racial landscape of america has changed so much within one generation right yeah. it was like 80 yeah. something percent white protestant christian american and or white christian american and yeah. and uh and now it's um you know by the time i die it'll be like 40 percent white and so like just one generation it changed so yeah. i get it that like when we were starting every brand was owned by white men you know like white men control the landscape dominated the industry of course it makes sense like all the representation all the movie stars <laughs> you know yeah. like tommy Hilfiger, like everyone that i looked up to hip-hop blue he'll figure up too though man that's true that's very much fat true. farm yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll, yeah, Hilfiger had a big part of that. But, uh, you know, but now in 2019, when three out of five kids in America are brown, you know, like, look at the diverse landscape of, yeah. like, brand owners, people who are buying this stuff. Like, hip-hop's the number one music in the world. Hip-hop's the number one music in the world, right? Like, yes. seven out of ten Billboard, Billboard number ones last year were hip-hop songs. And yeah. That's going to happen more and more. It's fashion, high fashion is dominated by black designers, right? The guy at the top is Virgil Abloh yep. at Louis Vuitton. Off-white. He's a black designer. Um, Sam Ross with a cold wall. There's, like, a lot of amazing representation. There's um, a lot of f- female, I feel, women, I feel like, are still not getting the enough representation yeah. in the way that they need but I agree, I agree too um that i think is just like so deeply embedded in this culture and uh so and definitely a it's, huge it's a harder it's a harder one to break to be honest i think like men just i don't know it's just it's I always think- been a, it's been men's game and and they're not willing to let go like they're all yeah. down for like oh we're down for diversity or whatever but it's just like well, I don't know if I feel comfortable with a woman, a woman running the country. It's just like, yeah. why? Cause she's emotional Be- or you know, it, like that was always a complaint. Oh, women shouldn't run co- country cause they're so emotional and like they're, they're so like volatile. So it's like, right. Like Trump, you know, <laughs> exactly. like the most emotional character I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Uh, like you had the woman's line. That was a great line. I like that line. Yeah. We, we had a, we had a brand called Jennifer. Yeah. And, I love that. And yeah. 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 The idea of being, it was a conceptual based thing where, um, women today are very much into men's streetwear and which I think is weird because a lot of men's street work can be misogynistic and like misrepresentative sure. of, of females. And so um, it was a women's brand that was like gender neutral, could be worn by, it was just yeah. hoodies, like oversized yeah. hoodies, like anyone can wear, but it was for women. Yeah. And instead of like saying it's a men's brand that women can wear, it was a women's brand that men could wear. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much safe to say, I think that Kanye West put Adidas kind of back on the map and made him a threat to, oh, Nike. Yeah. He made a threat to Nike. 100%. I think. 100 percent made nike have to step their shit up too yes yeah that's a, that's a real thing that's, that's a huge that's, thing I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that yeah yeah, yeah. My, my one more question i was going to ask you but i don't really think it I already got the answer you ever had a plan b but i feel like all, all the education you had everything all the knowledge you have i feel like if i was you i wouldn't worry about anything if, if something ever happened with the hundreds i feel like you have such a great education to fall back on whether you know what i mean like, yeah but at the well, same time, you ever nervous? Time, you ever feel like quitting or like, oh my god? Like, no. How much longer? Uh, I I I never. There was no backup plan. You know, like I love I, that man. I, there's no backup plan That's for pure this. Pure passion. I of course it, look for the most part, I'll probably find a way to survive on, on this planet. Like, again, I have the luxury of living in America. I'm a certain class, you know, like I have some money in the bank. So like, I'm education. probably not going to starve. <laughs> You're smart. I have an education. Like I know how to, I feel like more than academic intelligence. Um, I'm emotionally intelligent enough to be able to deal with other people, which like all successful people are. Um, 
sorry, my alarm was just going off. But um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, there was no backup plan for this, you know. I just and there still is not. Like I, I yeah. I, Do you worry I, about the future? In terms of like my career, yeah, just like yeah, the hundreds or just like no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm very grateful to be able to to get to where we are today. Yeah, you know, like I, uh, for the most part, I feel like you know we can largely shape what our future looks like. But yeah, I mean, do I worry about the future in terms of like climate change, AI, oh yeah, uh, civil war, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the recession? You know, like yeah. yeah, that stuff worries me too. But then again, going back to something I was talking about earlier, those are all things that futurists and experts promise us are on the horizon. And uh, they've also always gotten it wrong, right? Yeah. There's also the same climate change report written in the 90s was a little different by the same um, you know, United Nations report that said like in the next 15 years, you know, we're not going to be around or something like that. You know? And so like there's always reports. There's always things like we have to try. We have to do better. We have to like clean up the environment. It's an absolute must. Mm. But um, I didn't look the world could end tomorrow. Like yeah. a, a yeah. meteor could just you know, like something we don't look, we don't know what's in like 95% of the ocean. Right. Like we only know like the top layer, yeah. like maybe there's like the city of Atlantis down there. That's like the future for everybody. Yeah. Like who knows? Maybe an alien comes from outer space and it's like, come with me over here. Yeah. Like <laughs> no one really saw the internet coming. Some people kind of understood, but like no one understood like the true ramifications and mechanics and the mechanism of like what the internet was. Right. Yeah. And or that even, was very recent. Like, yeah, no one knew that Uber was going to be a thing. The access economy was going to become a thing. Like Amazon, no one saw Amazon <laughs> becoming, the, you know, Jeff yeah. Bezos kind of maybe understood, but I don't think he understood yeah. the, the power mm-hmm. of what that was. And yeah. so like all these things com- keep changing. I never thought we would have a black president. We had one for eight years. I never thought Donald Trump would be president. He's right. been in office for two years. True. So like no one up until the night before, most experts agreed that Trump would never be president. Oh, and yeah. then the next day he was president. So, yeah. you know, you can only give so much credence to what the experts say in the predictions because everything that they understand is based on what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of life is we never know what's happening in the future. Yeah. And so like there's so much opportunity. I don't think we really need to be worried. We need to just work hard on what we have to do today. We got to fix the environment today. Yeah. You know, like do what do, you can do. And do what you can do today and like not be married to this idea that like, dude, the whole world's going to fall apart and, and uh, AI is going to kill us all. It's and all hard. Stuff. It's hard right now. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear, I want to check out the news every day, but I also want to like live my life and not get caught up in like, yeah. Insanity uh, happening. It's so hard to balance that right now. You know? It's a hard balance. It's like it's a, a pen, dark world, a, man. It's like a pendulum swinging though. It's like, you know, you have, Trump and his hatred, mm-hmm. but on the flip side, do you see the candidates, the, the people who are coming out who yeah. want to run for president? You got Cory Booker, yeah, yeah, Cory Booker, yeah, Cory Booker's in newer, the mix, a newer guy who had street hits out yeah. on him, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. We have like some really the the dem the dem race is super crowded and interesting. Like I think even on the Republican side, they're obviously choosing Trump. But I think the independent candidates that come out, like I'm not down with Howard Schultz from Starbucks as president, but like just the <laughs> fact that this guy is in the race, it's just like, what the hell else is going to happen over the next year? So it's entertainment. Nothing shocking you know? anymore. Nothing we shocking. Got, it's all how entertainment. we got heckled. You billionaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. Like, how entitled. dare you? Like, You're taking votes away yeah. if you entitled yeah. billionaire yeah. asshole. Yeah, they're on him. <laughs> yeah, they're tripping on him. Yeah, they heckled it's him like, yo, like. It's a crazy time, man. Yeah. It is crazy. I've been talking to Tulsi Gabbard, who is um, a congresswoman out of Hawaii. And okay. uh, she, um, I think, is a really strong candidate for the Democratic Party. Um, there are some things in the past that I've... Uh, been able to talk to her about uh, her stance on gay marriage wasn't um, 
she didn't support it up until like, okay. let's say a decade ago, like seven years ago. So, um, she came up like in a very conservative ha- household. She's Hindu. Um, so like, you know, there's that part of it that isn't the best, but again, like every politician has weird things, yeah. you know, yeah. she, uh, met with a thought, like there's like certain things about her that aren't the best, but I think overall, I think she's a very strong candidate. I think she's someone that people should be considering and looking at. I think she can bridge the divide, um, between both parties and, uh, um, I would, I would say like, look at her. I, I think Corey's good. Corey also has like a lot of, uh, Wall Street ties, which are a little like, you know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, um, I don't even know who to trust anymore. I just, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's hard. Like politics is weird, you know, and yeah. Bobby, we've never Bobby hundreds. For- <laughs> I would never, I would never, I would never put my family through Family's most scrutiny. important thing to me. I want to put my <laughs> yeah. family through that, the scrutiny, yeah. but, um, it's hard because we have so much visibility into the process, right? Yeah. Politics have always been corrupt. People in yeah. power have always been corrupt. Like that's nothing new. But they weren't yeah. tweeting about it. They weren't tweeting about it. And <laughs> we didn't have the internet. Happened. We didn't have like so much access to all this information yeah. to know like really how bad and corrupt they really were. Yeah. But you know, like it's, it's a, it's a really nasty process. There's like a little, a lot of ugly parts of it. And like when you really get in there, you're like, yeah, I don't want to trust anybody, which is totally fair. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. Also, ignorance is bliss. And like, maybe we shouldn't have known some of this stuff, you know, to be able to lead our lives. You just said it yourself. You're like, yes, I just want to lead my life. But Turn like off. my brain space is consumed by like all this information, negative stuff. And On my like, phone all day, different things come up, different negative things about yeah. what he said today, what he tweeted today, who he fired exactly. today, who he pissed off. Like. It's like we are not meant to handle that amount of information robots are meant to handle it right like this is where the robots are beating us is that all that information is meant for robots handle but it's not meant for humans handle like we have to be concerned about our general welfare our mental health our children our balance balance and stuff like that and so it's hard if it's it's incredibly hard and in fact it's impossible to find a balance so this is a huge problem. Like I'm holding my mobile phone, but yeah, this it's is a really a, huge, this problem. Is a huge problem. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's such a positive tool to express yourself, to spread positivity, to promote a uh, brand, yeah. to, to sell something. People. But then the rest of it is just like these dark rabbit holes and just negativity and just like, yeah, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a comment. Yeah. Everybody, uh, twilight zone episode where you, you know what everyone's thinking because they'll tweet it. Oh my God, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's like the guy goes crazy. I can hear everyone's thoughts. I yeah. can hear everyone's thoughts. It drives me crazy. That's, that was in the 60s. <laughs> there you go. They predicted it. They, predicted they it. knew what was going to happen. Yeah, they knew that the shit would drive people crazy. But I think, crazy, you know, man. you have to do your best to stay focused on. I think the biggest problem why all this stuff is happening on social media and all these arguments and all this division and hate is that. Um, we are trying to have conversations out of context with complete strangers that are on different planes and they don't see our face and everything's misaligned, mm. right? It's And I don't think it's meant for, although social media has fooled us into thinking that we're actually like communicating and, genu- and like genuinely connecting with an audience, it's not mm. true. Like what we're doing is we're all shouting out into the atmosphere and yeah. no one's actually listening so like yeah. you say something it's not connecting with this guy and he's saying something and this girl's responding over here and nothing's aligned so i think to the response to everything that's happening in that phone is to just remember to have conversations like this yeah i can see your face i, I can read this. your emotions yeah. you know like look like you could be you're not but you can be like an arian alt-right like 
neo-Nazis sitting in front of me. And I think we would actually have a pretty civil conversation. I'll be completely disagree. But like, I think because we read the nuances of like, what do we care about most? What every American cares about most is taking care of their family, providing food for their family, happiness, their jobs. That's the most important thing. Yeah. We can all agree it's on all that. Yeah. It's, it's all people want. It's all people want. So we can begin there. Like, you Start love there. your kids. I love my kids too, man. Like, I don't want my kids, like, I don't want them to die. I don't want my yeah. kids to die either. I want them to have a job. Mine too. Yeah. Let's begin. We already have commonality. Yeah. yeah. All the other stuff, like, we have to work through. It's like differences of philosophies and whatnot. But, like, that's not what makes us human. But you're not going to see that stuff. You're not going to be able to deal with it and navigate it through social media. Not it's never going to come up. No, no, you're never going to see it. Man. Yeah. yeah. That's so <laughs> I just do my best to like try to keep the arg- arguments off of online as much as possible. I take them in the DMs yeah. if I really have a I'm having a serious discussion with someone. Yeah. If not, like I try to meet with people in person yeah. Yeah. and talk to them. And Same. like I care about the people immediately in my community, my family, my friends and family, people I deal with every day. Like. Honestly, I'm not meant to have a five minute like hate spewed conversation with a guy who lives in Kentucky on a farm who like grew up with racist parents. Like we are so culturally misaligned. Mm. It will take me flying out there, sitting down with the person, spending yeah, a week with them, living in their shoes, seeing how they eat, listening to the stories of like what their grandparents had to go through for me to have like true empathy for them. So like it's 100%. not going to happen over Twitter, or Instagram. That's no. that conversation is not going to happen. It never happened. We're just culturally too far apart. But in LA, like this is my culture and community, like my kids, my family, my friends, my cousin, like everyone here, when I drive around, like we all are from the same culture. Like we can, we have immediate access to each other. Like yeah. we have to start within the communities first, I believe. And then, mm-hmm. you work, know, like work your, work your way out, work your way out from there. But you know, you, it's not meant for us to have these like like look if you just drive like forty minutes east of here it's a completely different world. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, man. so yeah. like we have to forget like not everyone lives in our bubble and because we all live in these digital silos where we think that like everyone thinks and breathes and acts and has shares our opinions with things it's like it's not true. Just like go across the street your neighbor lived a completely different life like you have yeah. to talk to them. And mm. living in California is an extreme bubble. It's like living in a different planet. Yeah. Oh, totally you know? different planet. Southern California, LA, especially, yeah. then Southern California, then California in general. Yeah. Uh, we are in a completely different planet. We're lucky to live here, though. Oh, man. So lucky. Best place. I can never live in anywhere in the winter anymore or anything like that. <laughs> no, man. It's like perfect today. I'm in a t shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's like polar vortex everywhere well, else. Do you have any final it questions? Because nobody has to go. Any no, questions? no, actually, I did. Yeah. I'd... It was great. This yeah. is a lot of information. Thank you. A lot of stuff I didn't know about you that I'm really, uh, I love you even more now. Oh, I love you too. I, yeah. I really do. I appreciate. I didn't cry. Being part it's, of your life. No, I know. It's funny. I appreciate you, being part of your life and me, you, me being part of my life. You yeah. realize how there's a gen, there might be a between me and you might be a generational little, little gap. A little bit. But but we've we've shared so much of the this. There's so many commonalities, mm. especially f- how we came up with um, punk rock, skating, yeah. hip hop, and that was in you know early '80s. Yeah, and it's like and we were running through that. You know, we didn't know where we fit in and we yeah. were bouncing off of, you know, every, we had people in this crew, people in that crew, people on this side. And, you know, it's it, definitely, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you came up and. Yeah. I think it's a, I think every person on this planet more than anything, they want to connect, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you connect with another person, it validates that you are important, that you exist and that like you actually, um, have two feet on the like 
I think the worst part about the internet and what it does is it actually makes us feel more disconnected. And um, yeah. when you feel disconnected, you feel like you don't really belong on this planet. And we all want to feel like we belong. We all want to feel like 100%. we have a purpose and we have a role here. And like we made some kind of mark on the planet. We're not just here by accident. Yeah. And um, I think for people like us, we found that connection and identity in punk mm. or skate. For 100%. me, it was like streetwear and clothing. Yeah. But like we're all, always searching for community and belonging just to know like, like I'm, I should be here in this place. Like I'm important, like there's value in my life instead of me just floating out into the ether. And the problem, like, yeah, but I'm just saying like the problem with Instagram is yeah. that like you're, you're floating in space. I heard a definition once of hell, which I don't know if it's biblical or not, but it's like a place where it's a T.S. Eliot quote. Actually, it's not from the Bible, but a hell, hell is a place where nothing connects with nothing. Like, you know, and I've heard descriptions of that of like hell isn't really like a place of like fire. It's a place where really like you're just floating and like you don't actually like aren't connected to anything. And that so makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, we presently live in a digital hell where we're not actually connected <laughs> to anyone. We were just hopelessly lost in this digital space. Mm -hmm. And so it's important in real life to step away from that and to actually connect with the people That's around us doing and this have podcast, conversations. Right. You're like having like real connections. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, think, you think the internet ruins streetwear, like social media and stuff like that, ruins streetwear in a sense? Yeah, I think the internet, social media ruined everything and then also like made it what it is, you it's know? It's a good thing too, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, there's pros and cons, you know, like, yeah, it took like a lot of the magic and fun out of it and um, it made it accessible, which like a lot of the beauty of streetwear was that it was hard to get. It created bots. Yeah. yeah. This is the worst part of streetwear. I mean, the, the worst part of what the internet did is streetwear. Streetwear, the idea of streetwear, it's very luxury, high, high fashion base, which is um, you want to wear something no one else has. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, access. it's all those people like us that want to feel special that we're not like everybody else. Like we don't buy our clothes in like a mall or a department store. We don't buy what like our mom, we don't wear what our mom buys us. Like we want to wear something when we go to school, people are like, Whoa, where'd you get that? You want to feel special. Totally. You want to right? stunt, stunt your shit. You're yeah. stunting. Like yeah. no, no one else has these. And the way that you had to do that before was you had to travel. So streetwear made it so like Supreme only store, sold out of their store in New York. So I go to that store uh, at skate shop. Bape used to only sell in the store in Japan. Like there was a Shut skate skates. shop. There's a skate shop in your town. Like that was the, you had to drive. I had to drive to the other side of town for this shop called Rebel in Riverside that was run by a rapist. And like <laughs> this, these are the hurdles that you had to jump through to get a piece of clothes yeah. that no one else at your school was wearing. Everyone else was wearing Gap. Or like polo or whatever, and like you're like I'm wearing like a think skateboard shirt, or like Acme, you know? Yeah. Like, whoa! Like, how did you get that? Like, oh, I Streaming jumped through, hand. I jumped through oh, these yeah. hoops, but it wasn't like you weren't priced out of it. Like it was, it was yeah, still 19.99. Yeah. You just had to jump through the hoops. Yeah. You can still go to Supreme buy like a 28 dollar t-shirt at the time. I think it was like 24 dollars for a Supreme t-shirt. Could yeah. be wrong, but like you just had to make the effort to go there. Or if your dad was traveling there on business, or you had a cousin who lived in Jersey, you can call and be like, hey, can you go there and like mm -hmm. get me this shirt? And like you. Can pay for it yeah. and it could yeah. happen now 
because of the internet, the internet, because of e-commerce, because of eBay and auction sites and reseller sites and StockX and whatever, you have access to everything. So the geographical barrier isn't the hurdle anymore. Now what the hurdle is, is economic. getting pri economic. And now it's a class thing. Yeah. And class differential is True. like the worst part of what streetwear has become. And it's all about like, you can't afford this. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important, which is when we were growing up, it wasn't about like, like it, all, it wasn't about how Access expensive or like, yeah. You said the same thing about going to a record store to find a record. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah sifting yeah. through all the records and find this record. You Digging, have this and yeah. you don't yeah. check the thank you list, read the lyrics yeah. and find what other bands they shout out. And then you find about more bands. It yeah. was this community thing where you had to actually leave your house to do it yeah. and find mm -hmm. it. Part of something. The searching for it and mm -hmm. fucking. And now, you know, it's about like, I paid X amount of dollars to but buy this no record, much, but yeah. I have it. And you're like, wow, you're cool. You spent $5,000 on a record. That's so cool. <laughs> it's just like, that was never cool, man. It was never it cool was to be rich. No, yeah. Like, no one wanted to be the rich kid. No. That was like the wackest, yeah. nerdiest kid. Yeah. And now, like, everyone who runs the world is just like the rich kid. And I'm like, no. Oh, yeah, no. You <laughs> went through no struggle. You have nothing to offer. You're not original. Like, everything was spoon fed. Zero to you. passion. Yeah. Just pure Zero about the passion. money. Yeah. I want, like, the grimy dirty shit you so know? it won't like, be like that ever again i guess really yeah. as of right now i don't think so solar flare takes solar out just like just you like, never know just like our kids would never know what it's like to have no social media like not have a phone on tour and all that stuff it's just like you never know well bobby i really appreciate your time i know you have to skedaddle it's friday at 5 15 um i want to thank you for one being my friend thank you for letting us do a collaboration with you from the yes, very beginning so we've been friends for a long time i don't even know how we met how many years ago it's been a long time long time before the brand or right before the brand started i guess yeah um and then also for using your voice and your platform to help change this planet and make it a better place and inspire people in a positive way you're an amazing writer designer photographer everything you, you're well-rounded human and i learned a lot about you today and you're really smart and there's not many people i know that are really smart so <laughs> i'm honored to thanks, call you Toby, my thanks rusty yeah, and you can be a lawyer you. too yeah awesome but yo, thank you so much thank for the podcast so i yeah. appreciate you thank you thank you <clears throat> that's gonna be kind of like my mo where after i do an interview i wait and i realize oh shit i had more questions for them so usually there's gonna be some extra stuff at the end of all my episodes it's kind of like the theme of what i've been doing I'm sorry, I'm just a spaz and I don't get all the questions I need to. And uh, sometimes I just like OCD and bug out on the what I could have, should have asked him. And I get him back on the phone. All right, so Bobby, so um, the reason I wanted to get you back on the phone is because we didn't touch touch upon how we met. I'm trying to think how we met, where we met. Um, I know it was over 10 years ago. I just know if I met you in Cali when I moved here or something. Or um, Yeah, how did we meet? I, I, I think my earliest memory of you was um, there was a show at like the Montalban or something or like some type of Nike event. Yes. Uh, something like that. Like maybe it was like when Pacquiao had like a thing there, but it was 10, 10 plus years ago, like 12, 13 years ago. And, uh, and I, and I remember, and I, I knew that you were around the scene just because we had a lot of mutual friends like yeah dom, you know like dom and and guys like that so i i knew you were around but I, I remember i was standing next to you and i was just like you were by you were just watching we were just watching the show and i and i said oh my god i said hey toby i'm, I'm a big fan i'm still a big fan and i was like <laughs> nice to meet you i'm bobby and you know i'm starting this brand and you were like super nice and supportive which is 
how it how that how the anecdote always goes with you. Thank you. So, man. yeah, that's crazy. And then and then how soon how soon into the hundreds did we do that collab? Because I feel like we might. Oh my been- god, I feel like it was immediate because I, I don't know how I reached out to you after that because I don't remember if we exchanged information. Maybe I'd you know asked one of our mutual friends or like. Yeah. We had like MySpace or something back then. I, I don't even remember. Friendster, but <laughs> Friendster, or uh, Zynga, Zynga or something. I don't know. But I remember. I, I remember. I, I asked. I just reached out and I said, "Hey, look, like, would you ever do a collab?" And and back then, collabs were like very easy and simple, like much easier than they are now. And it was yeah. just like, "Hey, like, you want to do this? Let's just do it." And like a few weeks later, we just had a shirt, and uh, it said, "People change, but songs remain," which is just like a lyric that's always um stuck with me I, i've always loved that lyric it was crazy for me is that like that's off like the go record which is for me personally not my fave but i know a lot of people right. like that record and a lot of people found out about h2 during that record and that touring cycle so to have yeah, yeah, yeah. To have you come back with those lyrics we were pretty stoked on that um to be honest because we didn't think it would be something from that album so that was pretty awesome and adam's to actually has that shirt in plastic bag still? Just really? Pretty, yeah, it's like a fucking ancient <laughs> artifact. Um, yeah. So, the, so then fast forward to now, we did the collab for our 25th anniversary a couple months ago. Yeah. And, and for some people, you know, we did the original collab that was before social media, so people that know us, we were friends, and we did that shirt. Um, so people were like, oh, the hundreds in each shirt. Like, how does that happen? People know we're friends, but just so, just for like history fact, we did originally one, you know, over 10 yeah. years ago with you guys. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a really long history and, and and even that first one sold out and and ever since then we've been talking about like we should do something we should do something and and I like that we we took some time to like make sure it was right because the second collab that just recently dropped it I feel like it blew the doors off and Dude. like it was perfect with the event and, yeah. and we threw this huge show in in our backyard here at, at our offices in our warehouse and had like a little skate demo and Chris Cole came out and uh, and H2O played, and then it also came full circle because I've watched Max grow up, and so that was Max's second or third performance with his band Rend, right? Yes. It was like, yeah. So like to to have them open, and then to have you perform, and like ever, I just remember standing out there that night watching. It was like starting to kind of rain near the end, and yep. you know there was just like hundreds of people, and and it was so positive, and like I just felt like one of those moments where everything really came full circle, like wow, look at what a, I've been able to do for, a, like, I have the best job, yeah. like, is what I was thinking, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I get to do this for a living. This is, like, my entire life summed up in a night. Yeah, it was uh, it was a beautiful event. It was awesome seeing actually Ben there, too, and Ben was, like, smiling and shit, and, like, mm-hmm. he was stoked, and, like, the diverse group, and I said, you know, it was so many young kids there with their, with their parents and little babies, and fucking, dude, it was... Yeah, there were, like, kids who grew up with, with your band and like with our brand and now they have children and the children were at the show. And, um, you know, that's like, it's kind of like how, how, how hard of both of us work. Like you were just saying that you're about to leave on tour, like 22 dates in a row. And, yeah. you know, like I've just, I feel like I'm in the middle of a weird little tour myself. It's like we work, we work really hard for moments like that. Like that's the milestone that I'll remember, you know, like, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll look back and be like, dude, that was so sick that we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored to be part of that too. It was super fun. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys are going to have more shows there in the future. Um, oh, of course. I'm sure it's not the last one. Um, yeah, you just mentioned like your little book turnout. I went and saw you at uh, Barnes and Noble last week. That was amazing turnout and vibes. And 
um, yeah. conversation with Wale. Um, yeah, let's talk about the book real quick. So the book's out right now, correct? Yeah, yeah. The book dropped a week ago. It's called This Is Not a T-Shirt. Yes. It's doing really well. Um, I mean, shocking. Like, I knew my audience would buy it, but it's kind of um, it's like transcended that. Now it's become like an Amazon bestseller. It's number wow. three in new releases. It's, it's a top 50 book overall on Amazon this week. So that's like, I mean, my book is next to like Orwell's 1984, Holy you know, like, it's just, yeah, it's Congrats. crazy. It's kind of like become its own thing. And, and that's really exciting to see. Um, but yeah, we had an LA stop at Barnes and Noble sold out. San Francisco was even bigger um, at Green Apple Books, supporting the local indie store. And, and that sold out and getting a lot of good press and like GQ and, you know, the LA Times put me I in the Sunday that, paper. Dude. That was really fun. And NPR, I've been on a couple times now. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just, it's like overwhelming. Like, I, I finally have had a moment to kind of breathe uh, the last two days. But like, it, it almost felt like I was campaigning, like I was running for yeah. office, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I never, I never, like, you, you're in music. Music operates around, you know, first week sales and you kind of, rally up your troops and you get the word out like clothing doesn't work like that like we have seasonal drops we have like literally weekly drops like t-shirts drop here and there and we tell people about i just like tell people hey by the way we made this collaboration or we made this hat or we made a pair of shoes and we just post it and i just move on with my day it's like if they buy it they buy it but this was like two years in the making like six six months of promotion um, like personal emails, like personal phone calls, like literally like canvassing, I, I felt like I was doing. So that was really different for me. Like in clothing, we don't really get an, to experience that. And and for the first time, I felt like what it was almost, almost what it was like to be like a musician, you know, or yeah, like, on tour. A person, yeah. like, a, you know, like I was just like, this is probably the closest I'll ever be to like a rock star, like where I'm on tour and, and I'm promoting something. So it was, it's cool. It was cool to like live that moment. It's like you put your first album out. Mm-hmm. It really is. You know and like, I mean? every, you know, everyone always says like that first album is so great because you work on it your entire life. And like, it, it really is. Like I worked on that. I'm 39 years old. I, I feel like I worked on that book for 39 years, you know? And so yeah. for the last week, it's felt like I've been able to attend my own funeral in a way, like how nice everyone's been and people coming out <laughs> writing these like, glowing testimonials about me and i'm like yeah. oh my god it's like i i died but people are like saying it while i'm alive it's so cool um <laughs> it's, it's fucking awesome so do you feel like like you had a bait i don't know you just feel like totally relieved now it's out and then now are you probably thinking about a second book yeah yeah of course i'm th thinking about second books and third books and fourth books and um i told you already like it is this book is uh, being optioned for television which i'll be able to announce yeah. soon this is like probably the only place that i've really announced it wow. so like that is a scoop that like we're we're getting ready to announce and like tv film you know screenwriting is is definitely something that i want to involve myself more in the future and yeah. more books more than anything like i just love to write yeah um I'm looking at maybe like I can do everything from like I have a stack of short stories that are just ready to go that I might put out late next year to tide awesome. me over for like a bigger, heavier book that I think is going to come later than that. And I, and I want to get into fiction, too. So I want to write like fictional stories, like young adult stories. I want to write like The Outsiders. But for today, like that's one of my goals. Wow. So that's yeah. fucking awesome. And um, me and Adam, 
I'm, I'm, Adam's a better reader than I am. I'm a really shitty reader. So me and Adam bought the um, audiobooks for our 12-hour flight on Friday. Thank you. I'm psyched. It's, I, I, I'm psyched for that, man. Like, I really... Thank you. Um, I, me- I remember, like, we were leading up to that show, you were, like, every single day doing the, the all the talking for that book, man. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been... That audiobook, um, I, I don't. I guess I never really appreciated what goes into that, but it was two weeks of four, four to five hours a day, straight just reading a book in a stuffy recording booth, and um, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Again, that's I felt like what it was like to be a recording artist. Yeah. you guys are used to doing that. Yeah, losing your voice and doing cuts over and over and over and over, and like another take. And I just, I was not prepared. Like. I don't like talking. Like I love talking, but like not that much. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> I know yeah. you, you mentioned that the Barnes and Noble thing too, about like what, what people, what you want people to get out of the book. And, you know, you talk about the highs and lows of, of the hundreds, the beginnings, the, the highs yeah, and successes yeah, yeah. and the roller coaster ride and stuff. Um, yeah. I think we're often sold, a, a, you know, business stories are often about like, oh, we had this big break and then, you know, we're billionaires and look how much of a success we are. It's like, no, my, my life and career has not been like that at all. You yeah. know, I, I think like mine is more of a realistic story of like, I've had some breaks, I've had some successes. I've had a lot of fail. I've had more failures and success. Yeah. You know, like I make um, enough money to survive and, and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable, but like, I'm not like balling out of control, yeah. you know? And like, I, I think that's like an, and that's like an important story to promote in the business world of like, can you also tell a business story about like just working hard, doing what you love, taking care of your community, taking care of your family and your friends, you know, like not like making so much money, they become a cancer to society. Like, you know, giving back, um, creating good stuff that you're proud of. Like all that is like, that's like a more, that's a more real business story. That's like a more like important story. I feel like that needs to be told, but it's not as sensational and sexy as like, I I have a billion dollar valuation and I'm on the cover of a magazine. Like, yep. you know, that's usually what people aspire to, but it's yeah. like, that's not even real. Like I know all those people that yeah. have those kinds of stories and, and, and the PR spins it a certain way. It's like, that's not real and they're not necessarily happy and they're not necessarily making a lot of money either. So yeah. like, what if we just like get back to this place of let's do something we love. Let's, let's make it, let's make enough money to survive and, and to and to keep the dream alive and like that's like I feel like a much more fulfilling life. Hundred percent. Like the same with musicians. Like you get to do what you love, create what you want to create. You're you're, you're basically your own boss. You know, you and Ben. Yeah. And uh, you yeah. get to do what you love, and you're comfortable doing it. And I think that's the key to. I think it's a key to loving life. I also think it's the key to positivity, uh, health, health. Um, you know, when there's some people that you know work jobs they hate and they have to do it to survive, and you know. And feed their kids and you know i respect that too but i know there's a lot of people like that who are totally miserable and they look way older than we do because they're doing stuff that they, <laughs> want, but they do not they're doing stuff they don't want to do but they have to do it and they're not happy doing yeah. it and that sucks and it's like i feel like everybody has an opportunity to choose their own path and do what they want to do and really focus on it if they stick to it and not give up and do what yeah. they love and be happy um and i feel like me and you were very lucky to be able to do that um yeah, especially absolutely. in the business that we're both in and uh like I said, we, I didn't sell a million records and you're not a zillionaire, but you do it because you love it and you can still do it because of all the hard work you put into it and the success you got out of that and success isn't just based off of money. It's based off of happiness and health and your family and, you know, 
and loving to go to work every day and, and creating. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I feel like that's the key. People always ask like, how are you so positive? I have a good wife and I get to do what I love and I, I yeah. love what I do. And it's not all about, it's not about the money. It's about no. having fun with my friends and touring and being creative with best friends and all the people you work with are like your family. And um, yeah. I don't know. I just think that's, that's extremely important because life is really short and it's like a lot of people spend their time. Um, I don't know. Just, not being happy and doing things just to make money and money's not yeah, the root of yeah. all, at all of happiness. I think money's a lot, you know, truly Absolutely. evil a lot of times. So, um, yeah, man. So money's, I think, money's important. Money's important to survive and put a roof over our heads and to stay warm and to yeah. eat and have sustenance. But like beyond that, like that's all really human needs to be happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, 100%. everything else is fleeting like we just need the bare minimum and when we need some people to love us and stay connected to and for us to love them and then like everything else is icing on the cake man yeah um when we when we announced that the call that people like all oh, the the prices and don't forget your roots and all this bullshit and it's like yeah. and it's like the hundreds and h2o are both built on hardcore punk ethics and both yeah, have yeah. done a diy style and are still doing it and yeah that's more than like you said you said like Ah, oh, there's something about streetwear. It's like about fashion on street. We had he had two great quotes that I love. The one is like, um, "Your rep, uh, your work is more important than your reputation," which I think is incredibly true. And yeah. then you said something. Fuck, I don't know where you said it at. It was about without the street streetwear, it's just fashion or something like that, right? Is that? Something? Oh yeah, yeah. I say that uh, streetwear without culture is just fashion. Yeah, and hundred percent. There's nothing wrong with fashion. Like I love yeah. fashion too, and I love clothing and I love design. But yeah. streetwear is a whole different thing, where it's really about like culture and community, and like it's supported by like design and it's supported by clothes, and like that's the merchandise and that's the communication device that we need to kind of bridge the communities. But yeah, I, it, more than anything, like streetwear is just like a reason for us to come together. And if it happens to be shoes, that happens to be a cool t-shirt. Awesome. But yeah. like, yeah. it's really not just about fashion. Like fashion exists on its own and it's awesome, but we're not a fashion thing. And you can also say that like wearing hardcore band t-shirts, you can only get from the bands and go, yeah. to, go to the concerts and support them and wear their t-shirts. That's something that could be streetwear too, because you know, these are bands and, and you're helping them survive by buying the merchandise and wearing it, representing your favorite bands. And it's it's not something you could get at the tip. Well, back in the day, like get at the mall. You know what I mean. Yep. So it's like you're wearing these shirts and, and these designs of these bands and your favorite skate companies because you love those brands and you you know you skate on the skateboards and you love those bands. Yep. You support them. And I think people. It's a fine. I think people get it mixed up about like. <clears throat> now we talk about fashion before passion and all that stuff. And you know, for me, that's our song. What happened was about people only wearing the clothes and the outfits and thinking that you can, you can have this look and you can be yeah. a certain, you can be punk or emo because you dress like that. But that song saying it's more than just an outfit. It's actually, it's like, it's in your heart. It's how you live your life. It's what you believe in. It's, you know what I mean? It's like your ethics. It's, it's all that. It's not before you could walk into a hot topic and be punk from head to toe. You know, right. it wasn't, you, you could just be a normal looking guy at, at a hardcore show. You know, it didn't have to exactly. have a mohawk. You know, everybody, came from different backgrounds and we all got connected in this kind of weirdo outcast family. So I don't know. Some people yeah. get our song twisted. So like when they saw the cold, I'd be like, Oh my God, you forgot your roots and this and that and brands. But like <laughs> it, it's, it's, it was, it was never about that. It's like, we're supporting each other and we both come from the yeah. same backgrounds. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I, I, don't I, 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 I love that. Like I, you know, 
I, I really actually appreciate like that type of criticism and that type of passionate, like, you know, anger over, over us, over you working with a clothing company and big, a big clothing company too, you know, like yeah. we're not like a small, like garage label. And, yeah. and like, that's like the spirit of punk. Like, yeah, it's good that the kids are out there questioning, like, you know, just don't sell that, like holding, holding the bands accountable, you know, like they don't want to see, you know, their favorite small time band, like, ex- you know, become this corporate monster. And, and, and I think you've done a really good job of navigating that and not being that, but also like, being like open to working with people who you align with like value wise, which is, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm a, I'm a company, like I definitely have a big clothing corporation, but yeah. um, You know, it's still just, it's, it's owned by me, you know, like it's owned by Ben and like, we don't have any investors or backers. Like I drive, you know, my wife has a car and I have a car and that's it. Like, we're not like, you know, we're not like, we're not on a yacht or anything. And I I don't feel like I'm exploiting anyone. Like we just, we're, we're, we're making, you know, we have a good business here. And, and, uh, but at the end of the day, like, I'm still, I'm just like one of them. And I would say the same thing if I were 16 and and saw my favorite band working on a clothing company, I'd be like, just be careful, just be careful. Like, you know, like don't sell out on me. And like, I love that. Like, I think that's why punk is so cool. Yeah. But, and to me, and to HO, it's like, oh, we're going to do a shirt with Ben and Bobby, your friends. We don't look at you as a massive corporation. And also, right, there's exactly. people that because of your collabs with like Judge, Bold, Gorilla Biscuits, Chain of Strength, H2O, all the bands you've done, you've there's people that don't know anything about us that because yeah. they love the hundreds, all of a sudden, they're checking out all of our bands because you're making this merchandise. It was 100%. funny because when you posted the last thing we did, somebody's like, who, who's that, who's those dudes on the back of the shirt? And some kids yeah. like, that's a Ben H2O, <laughs> that's a picture on the back of the shirt. To them, it looked like just like a, a new a new hundreds merchandise drop. But then other kids yeah. can look into it and be like, oh shit, there's a band called H2O or Gorilla Biscuits yeah. or Judge. And it's 2019. And if, if, we're, be, if we're being able to like, you know, have more people find out about our music. It's awesome. We're all helping each other. And it's like, right. that's the whole fucking point. You're putting out shit that inspired you. You know what I mean? And you're helping out, helping the bands that, that inspired you, you know, right. maybe get to a new audience and people can check us out. Like, I don't know. 100%. Well, I, pre- I, pre- I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. This podcast, this episode is amazing. Um, we did it a couple months ago. And so, like I said earlier, it's like right now I'm in the middle of my chronological order of my life. I'm in New York hardcore right now. And so I'm dropping our episode today because your book oh. is out and I want to support my friend Bobby. And so this will be in the middle of New York. And oh, tomorrow, I didn't know tom- you were doing that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Tom- tomorrow I get back into New York hardcore. But we're going to drop this now because your book's out this week. And and our, my friends have got me My friends have got me for like family. Wait, I'm all hyper right now. My friends have got me for like family. I'm so tired too. <laughs> and so we're going to look out for each other. And this episode's coming out as soon as I get this to Joe and he gets it together. We'll have it out today. So I'm stoked. Uh, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everything you've done for the culture, for skateboarding, for punk rock, for hardcore, for everything, man. Like you're a, you're a man in the mix of all of it. You know what I mean? And you never forgot where you came from. And I respect that. I'm no, that yeah. Way. And I, I'm ultimately forever curious and excited about youth culture. And I feel like the kids always have the answer. So I'm always listening to the kids. Yeah, man. The kids will have their say and they still do. Um, oh, yeah. All right, Bobby. Hope I'll see you soon, man. Thanks, Toby. All right, brother. Love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. 
I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.